That's all fucking good. Welcome, man. This is an exciting fucking moment, yo. Anyhow, y'all know what it is. This is Bridge the Gap. This is the show where we talk to the different peoples out there to pick their brains, go through their story, and acquire some knowledge so we can bridge some fucking gaps in our lives and learn some shits and, you know, move on with all that good stuff. This is a, this is a cool one for me. This is really a sincerely cool. And I don't think we've really, like, spoken before actually ever but let me tell y'all because like i want to start this up how i do i like to just hype up the shit because yo mercury miyagi is fucking dope that's who we're talking to here i think he's fucking dope i think like this guy's facebook is the littest shit on facebook right now his hot takes are fucking ridiculous he gets comment threads that just go and when you read through them it's entertainment for days there are lovers there are hate there are people that sincerely just seem to be there to like just get in on the action it's fucking fascinating to watch but that's not really the most interesting part of him that's just how he popped up into my life on my radar because i'm gonna be real with you english montreal hip-hop of a certain age is a very tight facebook group and it just kind of is what it is um and there's a lot of us there and uh, mercury's kind of like a central point everybody fucking loves this guy's name uh but on top of that he has a studio he does a lot of engineering stuff he does a lot of that kind of stuff he makes beats he does all that kind of stuff as well he's also an mc we just spent a whole bunch of time earlier listening to his music all sorts of versatility all sorts of intense real topics in my opinion um i'm gonna say the lawn knights project is one of the coolest things i ever heard in the city um i don't know if anyone else agrees with me that's not really the thing it's just for me that shit resonated with me at an ethereal personal level it made me feel like damn this guy's on the same wavelength which is not a feeling i get very often listening to music especially local music it was like damn that's some fucking cool shit i've seen the man post all year his heart and soul and spirit are in a very interesting place in my opinion um i'd have to say this is truly a desire i wanted to get this guy way earlier in the year and then COVID came and he's like, let's do it in person. I'm like, fair. And then schedules is hard. And before this online thing, it was super fucking hard to get anybody to like come to my crib and do this shit, right? And then COVID came and in September we shut down and everyone's like, fucking fine. I'll do the Hangouts version or whatever. And now here we are finally at this moment where it took a long time not not that like he he like blew me off or anything it's just we were kind of waiting for life to like be in person again but finally it worked out the schedules came out we do in a late episode which is amazing because i'm on vacation and can do a late episode so it's just everything just fucking aligned perfectly for this one anyway it's my pleasure to have you here dude this is real exciting for me because there's a lot about you i don't know and i'm looking forward to learning it Yo, thanks for having me for real for real if i can just interject for one second first of all i want to thank you for those kind words regarding the long nights project because it's definitely my magnum opus it means the world to me so for somebody to be able to connect with it like that really means the world to me but uh more than anything i want to shout you out first to start because people have been crying about having a hip-hop radio station you know a platform in montreal for hip-hop artists to be able to play their music and whatever you know get their voice heard and you're single-handedly doing that. You're literally taking the time to sit down with almost everybody from the hip-hop scene and getting their story and everything. So people talk and people complain and you're actually doing it. So big up yourself, man. That's big. I appreciate that. There's definitely others out there. I'm not the only one. I just want to say like that for sure. But I appreciate yeah. that you, you recognize that. That's cool. I am definitely trying to work within the realms of what's out here to do something more. Um, just kind of how it is. I uh, I learned along the way that giving is more powerful than 
trying to be number one for your your whatever and I don't know. This is what it is. This is what I can bring to the table, okay? This is what I can offer. I'm never going to be that engineer producer dude, but I can talk like a motherfucker and smoke some joints. Um, but I do want to get started. And I know, oh, yo, one more thing. Went for all history, history for this particular Twitch channel. Merker Miyagi is actually the first ever legit subscriber we got, as in guy that is not connected to me in some networking way subscribing to this channel in a direct way so that's fucking huge too for the history of this so that's amazing like to me it hit my heart and so like damn murker so that's fucking big that's cool um but yeah so that was amazing too but let's get into it though <clears throat> i'm excited first question is my staple question it is what it is um a girlfriend for those that you know might have heard it whatever my girlfriend's doing the dishes once upon a time she fucking bumping up to that black eyed peas on that that whole like i got a feeling track right or whatever and i'm thinking to myself you know back in the day this is some club music right this is some shit people's bopping around to and everybody knows that song from my age group because we all bopped out to it at some point or another and then now she's doing chores to it which got me thinking about vibes it got me thinking about the whole structure of music right so when we were kids our parents were listening to certain things and that was the chores music which used to be their club music and i'm like okay okay there's some connections going on here but as this has evolved it's more like i realized your musical journey doesn't actually start with your preferences. It starts a lot with the influences in the world around you, such as what your parents listened to when they did chores, such as the way, you know, the car rides. I don't even know if you have siblings, but siblings may have played an influence. All sorts of factors came into it. So what we want to do is start with your little, little Merker Miyagi, little kid. Uh, what was the sounds going on in your life? And also, how were these sounds being done? Like, you know, like, how was all that playing out for you? Well, on my end, it might be a little different than most because I watch your show and I hear a lot of the similarities because obviously it's same kind of era. A lot of people grew up hearing the same kind of stuff. Um, I hit you with a little bit of left field because me and my parents were a little bit of hippies. And so it's actually, I grew up doing road trips is when we would listen to music and my mother would be bumping Peter, Paul and Mary and... Uh, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon and Simon and Garfunkel and these kind of things. So that's, it was my, you know, road trip music. And that's what I, I came up listening to on my mother's side. For my father, he was really into classical music. So, uh, you know, back in the 80s, CDs might have not been that big. They were kind of starting to pop off or whatever. But mm. he had like a, a big rack of CDs like this, the Vivaldi's, the Mozart's, the, the Beethoven's, the, you know, all of it a through z and that's what he used to bump in the house so that those were my my main influences coming up so classical and that stuff my mom used to listen to respect there you go. i don't know <laughs> folk music or what i don't know, I don't know how to put it either i know like what it is but no nah, i'm having trouble placing i guess folk is a good one for it um for lack of it that's cool so like were y'all also exposed to radio like not so much that was more like in my early teens, you know, radio was definitely a big thing. Listening to radio, that's where I would try mm. to catch songs to record on tape. You know, when I wanted, when I really liked the song, I would try to catch it on the radio and record it so I could have it. So there was definitely radio influence in my life, but that's not like what I remember listening to. Like growing up when I wasn't in control of it, it wasn't much radio stuff. That's cool, though. And I find that it's interesting because as time goes on, there seems to be connections. Like right away, though, you don't have that mainstream influence. And listening to your music today no offense it's not the most mainstream sound 
right? Like you have a lot of mainstream elements, but when you really break it down, it really stands out in its own little thing. So I find it so fucking cool when people are able to have these like little, you know, there, there's such a, I find there's such a correlation, I guess, between these little stories and how people's sounds end up being. And like, I find it really just fun to, to, to kind of track it all. Um, I, I, I see it in my production a hundred percent. Like me, if there isn't a guitar, a piano or a violin, it's like, that's like, the core of almost every beat I make, I just, I can't hear it without that, mm. you know? So it's like definitely from those influences where I came in. I definitely like that style of beats um, just personally, cause I'm into all kinds of music more than just the hip hops. Um, but let's go on to the next bit as you're growing up, right? Somewhere in the puberty era, you get to that point where you start to develop a musical identity of your own. Uh, I don't know when it is, or what it was but do you remember that moment when you're like fuck it now i'm into music what song it was what was happening uh me i remember coming home and my brother was bumping mc hammer can't touch this and it was through the door that i heard it because that's how he was bumping and it was the bass line so me looking back at, i mean i used to think like okay mc hammer i was drawn to that but really and truly it's it's Rick James, right? If I'm not mistaken, that's what was that's what he sampled for "Can't Touch This." So, really, it was that that bass line that just what is that about? I just it was like blew my mind, and I said, "Yes, I want <laughs> I want more of this," you know. So it sent me into that, and I mean, it was the you know the vanilla ices, and the, you know because I went in from the you know from the from the mainstream door, let's say you know the like 1990 mainstream door. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was you know. It was listening to MC Hammer can't touch this and trying to trying to lock down the because it's time to go I'm MC Hammer go Hammer and the rest can't go you know <laughs> trying to da, 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 trying to play with that rhyme flow and rap along with it or whatever I wanted to write out the lyrics I remember my brother helped me write out the lyrics they can't touch someone to follow along you know this is before all the stuff you know <laughs> all the stuff that's available now you have to write the shits out yourself so uh, yeah that, that's when it like really came but then I I remember the first CD. I ever had I think I was in grade five or something like that and, okay and um, my dad bought me uh ooh, on the TLC tip <laughs> by TLC that was my first CD and I ABC another bad creation playground Aisha you know so this these were like the early things and then uh and then Rap City came into my life you know and this is at a time where people don't realize like obviously we can listen to rap whenever we want now or whatever the case is but this is you know, 11, 12 year old me in Vancouver, BC. And no, it was hold up, actually, let's, can we just pause for a second? I keep forgetting to ask this question early, but where were you born? So I was born in France. Actually, a lot of people have this impression that I, I was born and came up in California, but I was born in France. And uh, so in France, both my parents French, like my whole family French from France, you know? And then I moved to Vancouver when I was seven. Mm. So that, that became the English. And then uh, in my teens is when I moved to California and then had my like kind of coming of age there and then moved to Montreal. All right, let's go back. So we're in the California area, somewhere between Vancouver and California now. Uh, yeah, exactly. Vancouver. This is still Vancouver times right. now. That's crazy. See, I know any of this shit, right? And that's why we're doing this because, you know, one day maybe somebody writes up a Wikipedia, puts a little linksy poo, and now it's actually on fucking wax, yo, because I don't know how many people even know this shit. That's all I'm saying. Holy fuck, yeah. six people on the Facebook. Hop on over to the Twitch is all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> anyhow, um, so yeah, let's go back into high school. You're writing uh, lyrics and you want to be a rapper off the jump, but there's a couple other elements that are worth asking about. Is young, uh, is young Callie a, a dancer? Does he get into the dancing I side of things? Her. 
funny that you mentioned that. Absolutely was a dancer, uh, the running man and all that stuff. That was I was the one at the parties, at the church parties when I was, this is again like 11, 12, somewhere around there. And I would go there and everybody's standing up on the walls. Nobody's doing anything. And then I would just be like, I had to say, fuck it. And my song comes on. I go to the middle of the dance floor. I start breaking it down. There's a circle around me. All, you know, you, you brought me back with that one. I actually forgot about those times. But yeah, absolutely. That's what it was. It was dancing. And uh, one time, actually, um, I entered when I was the same thing around 10, 11, those times. Uh, my yeah. mom entered into Sorry. a... Sorry, shout out Misery for the follow. I got to shout them out when they follow us, the rules. Yeah, I love so when I was like 11 or some around those times, my my mother entered me into a modeling contest at the mall, and uh, and so I don't I, I knew I needed like some kind of gimmick or something, you know, to make me stand out from everybody else because it was literally like you walk out, you do your turn, you come back, you know, and then the next person and there was judges. So you were so, a I mean, model. Hmm? You were model. a model. Model. Oh yeah, model life, baby. Are you know? <laughs> when did that start? No, no, I'm not. Well, this is my mom entered me into this modeling contest. Okay, so that was the start of it. Okay, fair. Yeah, I don't know why she did that, but hey, she did it. And so me, I said, yo, I'm going to go out there. I walked up, and then when I got to the top of the, the stage, watched the running man at two times, did the worm, came back up, did my spit, so, so, you know, like, help myself stand out. So then I got called back into the next round. And the next round, I was like, okay, what? Well, I got to do something different now. So, um, I put on my Michael Jordan jersey and my Michael Jordan shorts and I came out with the basketball and I did a little through the legs thing or whatever and then walked off. But I guess the basketball thing didn't catch like the dancing thing. So I didn't make it into like the final stage or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> the dancing got me over the hump. <laughs> That's still crazy, man. That just shows how innovative you are, right? Because like, yo, you're young now, right? And you're in a competition. So it's not just like, look, people don't necessarily... Not everybody's like that in touch with shit when they're young. And that's what I think is really, really impressive is when you're able to like make an observation like, yo, I'm in this fucking, uh, yo, what's up, Liddy, bro? Um, I'm in this situation where like I got to compete with everybody out there. So why don't I go out there and fucking outperform these motherfuckers on every fucking level? And that's a level of dedication to a craft or to a situation that, again, like, yo, if I had that shit when I was young, holy shit, you know, that's something like I didn't learn that until I was old as fuck. So anytime somebody goes, yo, I learned that lesson young, I'm just like, this guy's fucking smart. <laughs> Actually, quick funny story about that, that whole incident when I woke up the morning of I was so sick to my stomach and I threw up. I actually woke up and threw up. And so I told my dad, I said, yo, listen, I, I can't go, I'm sick. My dad said, no, 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 you're just nervous. I said, no, you don't understand, I'm, I'm sick. I threw up, like there's, you know, there's something wrong. He said, no, 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 you're just nervous, you're going. I go, I go with my mom, we walk into the mall, I throw up in my mouth. I like, I know it's kind of nasty, but yeah, I don't man, it's fun. Run to the bathroom, throw up again, and it was literally nerves. But I had no idea what it was. I thought I was just sick because it was obviously just nerves, and then went through and it ended up being a positive experience. You know? So you literally had your own mom spaghetti moment. <laughs> Facts. That's amazing. <laughs> Yo, shout out Rockamaniac uh, for the follow. Um, so let's. Uh, so yeah, that's amazing. So already you're like dancing. You're a performer. Um, so that's pretty dope, man. Like right off the jump, those are a couple elements of your personality that are coming through. You're still in high school at this point. So how do you? That's actually, still elementary school. Oh, you're still elementary at this oh, point. Yeah. Like, 
10, 11, you know, just is like, hey, I'm young still. I'm young. It's like grade five, grade six. Oh, you know? dude, that's that's some cool <laughs> shit. No, for real. Like, that's some cool shit. Um, I'm glad that we you shared that with us. You didn't have to, but you did. That's awesome stuff. <laughs> um, So what comes next then after that? So you're a young one. You already got the bug lit up in you. You want to get it at this point, or are you just doing it for fun? Oh, I'm, I'm just going with the motion you know what i mean like it's just like i said i don't know why my mom put me in it she put me in it i was happy to do it like what really turned me more musically is again still that time around 10 or 11 for christmas my dad bought me a computer program called rock rap and roll and this is like i don't know if you can look it up there's still and this is like the most basic elements of production basically it's like these loops and you can choose your loops and you just drop them in their four bar loops and you put them in sequence. And so it basically like taught me the breakdown of songs and just the general, like how a song is built basically. And again, I don't know what struck him to get me that, but he got me that and it just kind of sent me on my journey. You know? All I know is, and I forgot about this. I'm not even going to lie. I fucking forgot about this is that my dad got me a shitty beat making looping program that was a little more advanced than that when I was in high school. Or I think he got it for himself, but I ended up using it. And I had forgotten <laughs> that that thing, I don't remember what it was called, but wow, that's amazing. That's a cool yeah. thing to remember. Yeah, for, and then me, I, I took, because my, my dad was uh, self-employed, you know, he always had his own businesses. So I'd never seen him work for anybody else. But uh, so he had his home office. Once he bought me that program, I took over the home office um, you know, I put it instead of my mixer and whatever, because he had a bunch of stuff. So I had the mic, I had the mixer, I hooked it all up to the computer. I had my beat making program. Me and my, my best friend at the time is because my, my government name, name is Chris and right. his name is Chris too. And uh, those times crisscross was popping. I was 11 years old. I'll never forget it. Me and my best friend were both named Chris and we're 11. And we're watching these two friends who are both named Chris who are 11. Who are selling millions of records and i looked at my friend and said bro this could be us and it was just ever since then it's just been like this I, i've never had any idea to do anything else in in my head you know what i mean it was this or nothing from that's there. amazing we just got possibly one of the most amazing comments we've ever gotten on my twitch okay and i have to say because of all the context of who you are bc music 12 goes i never would have imagined mercury sounded like this bro this is gonna change the way i read his replies in my head and I think <laughs> that is the best comment I've gotten on the channel because, like I said, your fucking shit is so hot. I wonder what that means. Do they think I'm I was more of an asshole, or I don't I don't know. I wonder. I don't know, but it's like at the same time. But I first heard your voice, I'm like, that's what Mercury because you don't know, right? Like you never know what people sound like. So it ends up happening on Facebook a lot. Is you make up voices and tones. <laughs> You create like a character, especially like, yo, like I feel like I got to know you this year and this might be our first real like conversation, like I said before. So like you end up with this like imagination of what a voice is and then you hear it in real life and it just almost shatters your illusion. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's what he sounds like. But then that's what you're going to hear all the other times. Not that it's bad. Um, It's just, no, no, no. it yeah, cracked I me up, man. I think it's funny when I hear people's perception of myself mm. or whatever. You know, it's, it's always funny. So I let people perceive me how they want. You know, that's not. So this is from Brandon BC. He said, and it's like he knows your music voice, but not your actual voice. So it's like, yeah, I can shout hear out that. Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Brandon. What are you saying, man? <laughs> 
It's cool, man. You got people coming here. They want to hear what you have to say. This is fucking exciting, man. Like, I'm excited. I'm sincerely excited. Um, probably too much show. It's also later than normal for me, so I might be a little tired, Holden. You're going to get some goofy shit as it goes on. There you go. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess uh, you guys get started. Is this still in elementary school or is this in high school yet? It's still elementary school. This is like grade six. Love it. And uh, that's, yeah, that's when it all really started. So I have my own little studio because if i can backtrack a bit to the the absolutely uh, influences when i said you know the peter paul mary the simon garf and cole all that i used to also watch my mother sing uh acapella cannons in the living room on a little four track tape recorder so that's that was definitely an influence for me that's why like the instinct to say okay i could record myself or whatever i didn't have to like invent it i was already seeing it you know she had it so that was part of my my setup you know that i did when i made my first studio you know when i was 11. <laughs> You made your first studio when you're 11. Holy shit, though. Um, that's crazy. So what, were you recording hip-hop at that point, or you really getting into it? So how are you getting beats? Well, I was well, I was making our own beats with the rock, rap, and roll. You know, we had the rock, rap, and roll. Right. You do. That's fucking ridiculous, right? So you, uh, do any of these exist, or are they all gone? They don't. They don't, actually. But, but I actually remember my first rhyme ever that I that I wrote my my first rhyme is uh, because I we called the group the power of two because it was two of us so we were the power of two so it was like uh, the power of two two bass and treble we got them both but not from the devil you know <laughs> so like, obviously the most ABC rhyme you could think of but hey but it was fucking you know 92 but it's <laughs> and, also uh, like you're you're that young that the worst rhyme ever is impressive i don't give a shit yeah. you know anybody that accomplishes anything at that age it's fucking fire okay like you know for sure for sure and in grade seven i remember for music class they were like okay and we're gonna have a project and the project is you're gonna invent a, a group a music group and you're gonna make a cd cover and you're gonna do a track listing and this that and i was just laughing because i'm like bro we have all this already <laughs> my project is done <laughs> so i literally had to do no work we already had everything we had the group we had the group name we had tracks we had whatever so it was just like you guys are talking about stuff i already did you know <laughs> that's amazing yeah, I like it when life works out like that like i was just thinking about grade seven today so in grade six i had to read the giver and write a report on it and then we get to grade seven and we have to read the giver and write a report <laughs> on it so i'm like yo that just reminded me of that um shout out to everybody in the chat y'all are making it fucking liddy bro that's my new thing liddy comma space bro it's not liddy bros it's liddy comma space bro that's what i'm that's how i'm working with it i really enjoy it um but yeah thank you all for being here with us um so what comes uh next in your journey i guess okay at what point do you actually move because let's say you're going to make your stuff as a kid i don't know if anything else super significant happens in that phase or is it just you move to la well so after the home studio there's that um then well then high school hit because high school i was still in vancouver when high school okay. hit and that's when i was saying back then you know, it was Rap City on Much Music. Mm. It was on Friday. It was 30 minutes. You know what I mean? You literally had four or five tracks in like per week that you could take in. So when I hit high school, I said, okay, yo, I'm going to really get into this shit and see what's going on. So I, I pulled up and I said, let me get my pen and paper, you know, to write, write down my favorite songs and whatever. And I'll never forget. 
It was Rap City and it was Outcast, Southern Playalistic, Funky Cadillac Music. Yeah. And it, was, and it was Dr. Dre, you know, nothing but a G thing. And I heard that nothing but a G thing. And I was like, yes, this is the sound right here. And I was just hooked and there was no turning back. So from there, I was just, I would start rapping and writing raps and just starting, or I would get instrumentals and just like try to rap the, the, the original song on top of it. My dad got me uh, turntables out of the back of the Source magazine for the people that are from the Source magazine days. You know, there used to be that in the back. There was, a, I can't remember what the store was called, but it was a record store in New York. And they had the whole kit, the two techniques and the mixer. And I got, you know, a bunch of records and and I had that. So I had that set up in my room. So I used to, to just try to spit the, you know what I mean? Spit the original raps on top of it or spit, I'm mean, like spit the original song on top of just the instrumental. And, and that's when, uh, yeah, that's, that was a development basically from there. You know what I like about that is because I do hip hop karaoke and that shit's fire. <clears throat> and what you just did is what hip hop karaoke is, but you were doing that as like a youth to get like into it. And I think that's fucking cool, dude. I'm all about that shit. And yo, here's the thing about it. What y'all may not know is it's a really interesting way to learn flows to actually go out there and emulate others. It's not necessarily that you're copying it, but at the end of the day, everything you do is the summation of all of the different influences and shit that you're going to hear. But it actually go out there and try and do these different flows forces you out of your comfort zone. So I love that already as a young guy, you're fucking doing shit like that. Because one of the things that we were commenting on earlier when we were playing your music was your versatility. Because we, we found, we went through everything that we could find. Your YouTube channel had some gems on it from back in the day. We saw a little uh, beardless clean up old uh, <laughs> Merker back in the day. But yeah, no. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you're, you're that into a wide variety of things so young. Like, what was it? Were you like really open to all kinds of hip hop at that point? Or were you just kind of locked into certain sounds? Well, uh, I mean, those times, like I said, with Source Magazine days, your exposure to hip hop media in Vancouver in the early 90s, it's literally the Source Magazine, the rap pages. So once a month you're in that, in that. And then, and then you have Rap City once a week right, where you hear. Uh, let's just stop that and go and pretend that there are people here like myself who didn't really grow up with the source. Like I know a few things about it from what from like, you know, YouTube's and whatnot. But walk us through like what it really meant to you and just talk about like that, like how it influenced you. The Source magazine was known as the hip hop bible, so essentially that's where everything went down like i said because without internet you know magazine was the main source of media to for promotion you know if you had an album coming out you had to have a full page spread in the source to let people know coming soon there's artists that had coming soon in there for years and albums never dropped but it was there and then and then when you open the source the reason why you can't wait for the source to come out is so that you can open it and go to the I can't, I can't remember what it was called now because it's heavy rotation it was like the the good albums and then there was like five albums that were like these are the albums that you have to have mm. so it was literally run out to get it as soon as it comes i mean in vancouver those times it's tough to buy certain hip-hop cds and whatever so we would drive down to bellingham to washington not too far that's where people go do their shopping like how people do their shopping in plattsburg here from montreal you go down to new york to do your shopping there was bellingham that was like the first city when you drive into washington so you used to drive down there and it was like mind-blowing because you could get everything there they just had everything so i would go down there i would cop the 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 recently released hot stuff and the the heavy rotation i essentially had every cd every month when 
that because if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't know what you're supposed to buy. <laughs> they literally told you this is what's hot and you want to see the mics. You know, did you have the five mics? Did you have the four mics, the three and a half? And I was like, that was what everything was based off of. It was the hip hop Bible before Benzino took it over and, you know, turned it into a <laughs> whatever he turned it into. <laughs> Fair enough, man. But even that point, like even if other people knew about that, we get to reminisce. I mean, I, I knew about some of these things, but I never really think about the power of how old stuff was marketed through that funnel, right? Because what you said there, and this is a big knowledge nugget, at least. At least I took it like that because I learned something new. So I'm going to fucking throw up some knowledge nuggets. It is what it is. Um, but basically, it's how the power of media is used to influence taste. And then we look at the, desegre the desegregated media world of today, and taste is a lot harder to mandate and fucking dictate. So I just think it's so interesting that you brought that point up because it kind of ties into a bigger piece of the old versus the new. <clears throat> so that's fucking cool, man. Um, so to loop back around a bit to your question, because you mentioned that the styles that I was like kind of mm. you know interested in rap wise. So like back then it was whatever the source told you was hot basically. But there they had East Coast, West Coast. I have to say that my ear was more drawn to the West Coast sound, you know, like. But overall those cds whatever cd wherever it was from new york or you know chicago la whatever for me to track every because back then it was a it was a there was a recipe you know you had your club banger you had your this you know what i mean you had to have every single type of song on your thing on your album or whatever and me it, every cd always had that heartfelt track where the rapper is not being you know braggadocious he's just giving you that real he's telling you his story or he's you know a little vulnerable or whatnot me that was always my favorite track on every album so it would just be skip 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 and you get to that you know you hear that little piano piece you're like oh <laughs> and then you go and you know he's giving you that real talk and i could always feel and connect with that so that would be if there was a sound or whatever it was that that real heartfelt shit you know that i always try to that's actually really awesome i never really like See, like, because again, like for me, a lot of my music consumption starts with YouTube. Like, yes, I, no, oh, that's not fully true. I was buying CDs for a while, but YouTube was around when I was buying CDs. So, like, I could go to YouTube and then go cop the CDs, right? So, yes, I would walk into the like uh, music world and fucking look at what was on sale and shit. But nah, I never really had to go through that whole like process of like, you know, looking for what's hot, buying an album, not necessarily knowing what's on it, looking to see what the tracks are, knowing you're like, that's a crazy, like, different reality that you don't really get to hear a lot about these days yeah it was literally like the source told me this was hot so i went and bought it and then it was discovery you know you sit down this is the booklet time so you get to see where it was recorded you get to see the the thank yous uh cool man logan was talking about that mm -hmm. you know the shout outs in the booklet if you're if you're lucky there's lyrics so you get to follow along with the lyrics and all that so that was always like it was an experience taking an album was really an experience you know that I don't think is really there anymore. I think in, in that regard, you know. Nah, because you mean even like, like the other day uh, when we did the Method Man and Red Man Blackout album, I opened up the thing for the first time and expanded it, and it turned into a mini poster you could put up on your wall. And I'm like, I forgot that that was even a thing that people did. I used to hang those shits up on my wall and everything, man. Yeah, for sure. That was so dope when you got that. Is those bonus things that you're not expecting. You're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> That's dope, man. So I guess high school's not kicking in. You're spinning. You're rapping. Yeah, exactly. It's all that, and then, um, and then uh, that's when I started because my brother went to university down in California, mm. and so uh, 
I started visiting him down there when I was uh, when I was 13. My mother passed, and so uh, I kind of started. My father kind of started sending me down there more. So it was a bit of back and forth, you know, between between Vancouver and California, until eventually my father passed at 15, and then I moved to go live with my brother in California, and then it was like a whole new world, you know, world two, as Kuman uh, <laughs> Logan would call it, life one, and then life two. And then I got down, I got down to California and it was like, cause from Vancouver, you're like, you're a, you're a spectator, you know, you're, you're watching it from afar. You're, even the commercials that you see on TV, you know, it's for restaurants that we don't have up here. Uh, the same thing, you know, the source magazine drops, it's albums that you can't buy up here. So you're, you're really like from the outside looking in. And then when I moved to California, it was like getting thrown in the pot, you know, and it was like, you get to see it firsthand. And then that's when I would, uh, cause I still obviously have my turntables and everything from up there. And then, you know, I met some people, they come over and you throw on the records and now you're hearing man's freestyle, you know, and it's for real and it's fire freestyles off the top of the dome. And it's just like, wow, you're really like immersed in it now. It's not, you're no longer a spectator. You know, I was like knee deep in it. And then it's still the same dream from there. You wanna, you wanna be a rapper, you know? It, just, it never, it never faltered for me. From I had that moment at eleven, I knew that this is it for me, you know. No, I fully appreciate that. Um, so I guess is that when it really starts? You get to California, you're fifteen. When does it like really like start? Start. Okay, so California, because it's still, it's still dreaming about it. Um, Cause then I moved to Montreal because the, the idea was always, it was me and my best friend, Reese, you know, shout out Reese. He, um, we wanted to start a label, you know, and we wanted to start a label and the way that we had thought about doing it was by building a studio, you know, we would build a studio and then have the label around that. But, uh, you know, certain situations happen, I had to leave. And then so that I, but I kept that vision of, okay, I'm going to build a studio. So when I got to Montreal, um, I didn't have any money <laughs> to build a studio. I didn't really have any way of making beats or anything. So I used to take, um, I used to go into like Archambault and uh, I would get my little diskettes because at that time you used to save instrumentals. If you had like a keyboard that you, you could make beats on, you would save it on a diskette. So I would go to Archambault and you could try the stuff. So I would sit there and I would make beats in Archambault and save it on a disc and then and then go home. So that was because I couldn't afford, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't afford the equipment or whatever. Then I discovered Steve's music and shout out to Steve's music because they're they were it at one point here in Montreal as far as the music world is concerned. And they would rent out equipment. So then I rented a Roland 909 drum machine, brought that in the house, started making beats in the house, started renting keyboards, started so building from there. And I would rent it and rent it, rent it for so many months. Eventually they told me that, hey, you know, everything that you spent on the rental, half of it can be applied to the purchase. So I had been renting, renting, renting for so long. Yeah, I was like, bro, okay, so let's go. Let's make it a purchase, you know? So I would turn this rental equipment into purchase equipment and then uh and then i had the team up here you know we had ips bl bud abe nax it was all all these guys that would come over and i had the eight it was an eight track digital recorder at that time i had my keyboard so i would make the beats slap the beat onto the recorder we had the mic we used to just drop things and 
So moving from Cali to here, when I got here, my brother Flesh, shout out to Flesh, he uh, he nicknamed me Cali Boy, you know, because he's Trini. I don't know if you know, but that's you know, the ad boy to the end of everything. So it was Cali Boy, you know. So then it became Cali, and then when when the man used to come and and spit over the beats, somebody just said Cali Productions, you know, at the beginning, and so that was like the start. I made the Cali Productions logo, and I kind of ran with that, and so. Okay, my so name was Cal. Can we just pause for a second and talk about how you broke the system before you could break systems? Because you just said you walked into the music store, loaded up their shit, made a beat <laughs> in the store while they're there and everything. Yeah, Put that you... onto a fucking thing and then moved on with your day to start the process. Yeah. That's some innovative shit, dude. Like, all things considered, I was not expecting that. But, like, I guess that's you know, legit. If you can pull off something like that in your life and you can just see opportunity, did you ever get caught? Nah, not a day. You could be in there for hours. They would never trouble you. You know, they, they might come by ask you if you had questions or anything. But people were in there playing on stuff, trying out stuff or whatever. So, I mean, I never stayed for hours to the point where they would get suspicious, you know. But I would go in there, pull an hour or something, you know, just make some beats, slide out. They never said anything to me still. That's amazing, dude. But, you know, if you want to do something, you're going to do it. You're going to find a way. There's always good excuses to not do something. So that those are not hard to find. You know, what you want to find is the, the loopholes, the cracks where you can break through those excuses and actually get to what it is that you want. You know? Big facts. Um, so basically then, when did you come to Montreal? What's like the timeline like? Montreal, this is 2000. Now I, I did the Y2K here in Montreal. So it was 2000 I was in Montreal. Fair enough. All right, so you're in Montreal, you're building up your first studio, you're linking up with people, and you're making that happen. So let's go. What, what else is happening? Well, tell us a bit about this era. Like, when I say about this era, I mean, like, what is it like to actually try to, like, build something at this time? Like, I know the internet game. How does the internet play into it? Are you guys MySpacing? I don't even know if there – I don't even remember if there was, you know? like. No. So actual studio built. Uh, what I was doing again, this is in the era of like making the beats at the store because I don't have equipment. I would have my my stereo with the two tape decks. So back then, uh, you know, in the late 90s, uh, rappers would have often 16 beats of uh, 16 bars of beat at the end of the song, just playing. There's even times where you would literally have the last chorus, the beat would just play for a while, and then the chorus would come back on, and then the song was done. These are like five and a half minute songs that didn't need to be five and a half minute songs. And uh, and so me, what oh, I would do is ride with me did that by Nelly. Ride with me does exactly that. It just like fucking keep there's a whole extra like minute for no good reason. And then the chorus comes back on. That was gold for me because me, I said, okay, if I'm gonna be a rapper. I have to be able to hold my own beside the the Jay-Z's and the whatever of the world, you know? So me, I would put myself on at the end of the track and try to see if I'm up to par, you know what I mean, with with it. And then, and I would even, because I had the two tape decks, so I would even, I would record one vocal and then I would run the tape back on top of it so that I could like do backs or a second vocal on top of it. And so I would have doubles and triples and whatever just with a... You walk us through the tape thing. Let's pretend people don't know how this works. I, I at this point I do know how it works. I've asked this question before. <laughs> but let's assume that not everybody in the call knows how it works. Walk us through what it's actually like to go through this process so that people can appreciate how easy it is today. 
Okay, so you have two tape decks, right? So normally you just play one tape deck to listen to music or whatever. And there's only one side that you can record on. But so the thing is, if you play the tape on one side and record on the other and plug in a mic, whatever you're recording on top of it ends up on the second tape. So you take that second tape now, you put it in the on the play side and you put a new blank tape on the second side. Now you're recording over the instrumental that already has one of your vocals on it. So you're getting to add a second vocal on top of it now and you're you're building up the track from there. Obviously the, the quality of the recording is just going to shits with every, <laughs> with every re-recording. But you know, when you don't have nothing else to do, this is, uh, you do what you can with what you have. I wonder if that like, plays in now i ad libs some like some people have like really loud ad libs like <laughs> no no but like if you think about that right like you're not gonna have volume control your ad libs are gonna dominate that that thing right because it's the last layer and it's gonna be the crispest one so if you, you think go. about it if a lot of people you know actually critical shout out you for saying exactly what he used to do you know you broke that down we reminisced i never well yeah, they reminisced Sure. Um, but yo, it's interesting, right? Because I never knew that. And so when I'm thinking about the construction of songs and like, whatever, if that's really like a thing that a lot of people did, it is going to influence people's sound when you get to like, you know, Pro Tools land and whatnot. So that's a sure. fucking cool hidden one I wasn't expecting. Fucking dope, dude. Yeah, so that was like before the studio building, you know, cause after that we go with the renting the stuff and, and we go in and the thing is I was definitely in my own way a lot at the beginning because when I when I moved to Montreal it was never it was never to stay in Montreal I was actually just coming up for the summer you know so I was coming up for the summer and then going back but mm -hmm. then I came to Montreal in the summer my sister was living downtown like uh, McGill she was going to McGill so uh, I was living downtown and then so you hit Montreal imagine you know a 17 18 year old you're hitting Montreal you're there and it's jazz festival it's just for laughs it's african nights it's you know and you're literally like two blocks away so every day you're just pulling up and it's like this city is so lit you know so i'm like wow you know so at the end of the summer when it was time for me to go back my brother's like you know you could see you could stay up there if you want get yourself a place whatever and stay up there and i said you know what i think i'm gonna stay up here it's pretty live up here and then the cold hit <laughs> and then i'm like Ah, so that's the catch. <laughs> they squeeze in 12 months of living in two months in the summer. So, of course, it's extra lit. And I mean, me, I always loved, <laughs> I always loved snow. <laughs> in Vancouver, you get a one, two snow a year, you know. So in my town, whenever it snows, it's always exciting. And the snow's there for two, three days, and then it melts, you know. So you don't have, like, you don't have snow for four or five months like how you do in Montreal. So it's like a treat, you know? And I remember the first time it snowed, you know, I'm just like, oh my God, it's so nice. And then, and then you're like, yeah, it gets old really fast, you know? So, so after the first winter, I said, okay, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I've, I've never been able to leave because honestly, the, the Montreal life, it's, it's an easy life, you know what I mean? Relatively, if you compare it to other like big cities, Vancouver, Toronto, San Francisco, LA, New York, these are not easy places to live in. In Montreal, I had a place downtown, Sherbrooke and Park, $350 for rent. Like, it's it's unreal. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had my That doesn't exist house. anymore, sir. Yeah, no, that doesn't exist anymore. But I'm saying I was in the heart of downtown, you know, a couple hundred bucks for rent. Well, I'm like, yes, I will stay up here and live this <laughs> amazing life. But after that first winter, I said, okay, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I've been, and I spent uh, a few years trying to go back to Cali. So I used, I used to go and uh, go back and forth. I used to actually take Greyhound 
Yo, where so are you I, a citizen at this point? Are you an American citizen? Or are you a dual? Or? I'm French and Canadian citizen because okay. well, French citizenship because I was born there. And I got my Canadian citizenship when I was in Vancouver through my father. So when I went, that was actually one of the issues of me living in California because once my parents passed, my brother adopted me. And so him, he was, he was allowed to be in the States because he was a student in the States. I was allowed to be in the States because I was the child of a student who's studying in the States. I was not allowed to work. I had a social security number, but it was not valid for employment printed <laughs> clearly on the thing. So I couldn't work. You know, I was there. And now you're talking about coming of age. I'm 15, 16, 17. I need money. You know what I mean? So it's like not being able to work or whatever. It was really confining and obviously sends me into doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. You know, so it's that happened very quickly so coming up here it was just so freeing to be like legal and legit and I could get a job and I could you know what I mean I could get a place I could get you know what I mean like I had got mixed up with the police down in California so to be able to come up here and it was like police didn't know me and it's like yeah, I relaxed and I said okay yeah this is I prefer this but at the same time I love California and so I wanted to go back but once I turned 18 I, I'm no longer the, the child of a student that's living in the States. So I don't have a legal status in the States. So the way I used to loop around that is that I didn't, I, I didn't fly, I would jump on the Greyhound. So it was like three and a half days on the Greyhound to drive wow. from, from, uh, you know, from Montreal to California. And then because the Greyhound tickets, you don't have to give a date. It's just an open-ended ticket. So you have, you have your departure date and it's valid for six months. You can just jump back on any Greyhound within the next six months to come back. So I would, when I hit the border, I would have all my Canadian IDs and everything in my wallet and say, oh, I'm just going down to, to visit, you know, visit my family in California or whatever. And I'm just going to go for a couple of weeks or whatever. Then once they let me across the border, switch out all my IDs, throw in my California driver's license, my social security number, you know, I had like change my wallet, make it American. And then I would be in the States for a few months, you know, until I run out of money or whatever. And then, and then bus back and then so i did that back and forth for a while so yo, it would never work so when you're when the alchemist song we're talking about the greyhound it's this right uh, yeah exactly because when i when i left california that's how i left too i jumped on the greyhound i had my my jay-z cds and my discman and it was jumping it was three and a half days just me and my music you know like i, like I say in the track and uh you know made my way to montreal that's amazing that's like really cool, dude. I love the fact that it's like your like your actual life, and then you're telling it, and I'm like, yo, that sounds like that song. <laughs> like that's fucking cool, man. Um, it's exactly what it is. So you're going back and forth, and then going back uh, and then and yeah. So because I was talking about being in my own way, you know, because often oh. people don't don't achieve things. They say, oh, the haters or the this or the that. They make all these, you know, external excuses. But essentially, it's it's because of you. If you're not doing something, at the end of the day, it's because of you. And so I used to stand in my own way. I always said, I don't want to be, I don't want to put out music in Canada and be a Canadian rapper and then have to try to make that jump across the border. Because back, like now, rap music is so global. Like, mm. you know, you have people like Kid Swift and whatever who blew up with rap music in Australia and and you know what I mean like there's just it's it's boundless but back then hip-hop was an American thing you know what I mean like obviously it was it was buttoning across the world but essentially it was in America and if you wanted to be a successful artist you had to be successful in America and I just didn't want to make that 
that jump. I didn't want to have to be that Canadian rapper that's trying to cross the border and make it in the States. So I said, I'm not releasing music up here. I'm going to wait till I go back to Cali mm. and I'm going to release my music there. So I was making music here and whatever. And I mean, little did I know I'm, I'm building my sound. And at the time I wasn't ready to release anyway. So it was played in my favor, guys, in the long run. But essentially I was just then in my own way saying, no, no, I'm not doing it here. I'm not doing it here. So I'd have my brethren and we're all, we're making music and whatever. But me in my head is, I'm not doing it here regardless. So this is all just practice, whatever. And then, and then, um, what happened when I was 20, 23, maybe when I was 23, I went to Costa Rica for three months and I lived out in Costa Rica for three months and being Why? there. How? Why? Maybe, That's just like such a segue. <laughs> it was, uh, I had somebody that was uh, starting like a, a gambling business out there. Okay. Like, cause you could do like, cause online gambling wasn't legal back then. And so you, people would have offices in Costa Rica or in Bahamas or whatever to like go around the legality of it or whatever. And he asked me to go down there and help him get that set up and whatever. So I was down there, like not in the resort or whatever, like in the city, you know, like really like for three months, three, four months, something like that. I was out there and then being out there is what made me realize that okay, no, in Costa Rica, I really couldn't release music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I thought, like, Canada is not the place to release music. But then going to Costa Rica, I realized, okay, no, this is a situation where I really wouldn't be able to release music and be successful. So I said, yo, when I get back to Montreal, that's it. It's go time. And that's when I made my Cali Productions logo and put my first CD together. Started. It started with me just going. I, those times, I didn't even have internet at home. You know, I would go to the internet cafe. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I would just go and I started uh, writing down, excuse me, record labels, uh, addresses. I would just search record label addresses and started stockpiling record label addresses to essentially, I guess the idea for me was to send them my demo. You know what I mean? So I started compiling. So being online, you know how rabbit holes go online. So from you start searching up, you know, record labels, whatever, you know, things pop up, whatever. And I ended up coming across a dynamic producer. Uh, it's this company started by Felicia Booker out in New York. And this was a place for producers to come together and they gave you opportunities to submit music to industry artists. So like now there's probably a bunch of that happening now, but back then this was like mind blowing for me. I was like, what? Okay. So I signed up with them right away and started networking with other producers. And so my very, very first cd at the time um what i did is that i got a, i worked with all these producers i had producers from uh producing artists from alabama from new york from chicago from atlanta from you know literally everywhere and i said okay let me put all of these people on my tape and then i'm going to print up a bunch of copies and then now i have a man in chicago who is on this cd that's properly put together and so he's going to be handing it out in Chicago Bro. to promote himself. But I'm on that shit too, right? <laughs> so he's promote like we're, you know what I mean? Like it's a cross promotion thing. No, so. no, no. You got to like, we got to pause. That's some knowledge nugget shit. That's what it is. I'm not even going to fucking lie. Because, yo, one of the interesting things that people need to learn a lot about <clears throat> is getting the fuck out of your city. 
Um, so believe it or not, behind that suit was an effort in my end to break out of Montreal. At the time, I was like, yo, Montreal doesn't like me. To be fair, I wasn't repping Montreal, so I didn't deserve any other like. Fair enough. I was a bad old Montreal artist, whatever. Now I'm trying to be a better man about it. But behind that suit was an opportunity to start talking to people all over the world. I actually got to talk to a guy for a while who was like, okay, dude, in L.A., it's actually like this. And I'm like, oh, tell me more, dude. Tell me more about life in L.A. So it was like I got kind of out of a bubble. So like, but part of that allows me to now kind of have little people that I'm making friends with across. Like I got a plug in Kansas City now. I got some people in New York. So I'm starting to get plugs in different places. I mean, and um, so when I hear you describe that, it gives me, okay, first of all, what did you actually do? You thought about how to get as much reach as possible based on what you currently had. So in my case, I'm like, yo, I got to interview people not in Montreal, which is facts. I'm already doing that. So in that regard, it's the same kind of thinking. So I love the fact that already off the jump, you're able to look into it. And here's the thing. Any of us can do this now. Like I made a whole project with a dude in Alabama, right? Like he did all the beats. I did all the fucking vocals, right? So like you can actually just reach out and anybody there. So in this day and age, it's like 10 fucking times easier to replicate what you did. And if everyone does what you did, instead of maybe trying to like stick in the thing of where like, you know, the, the common ways, the yesteryear days, man, just by jumping out and going, yo, let's make an international project. Boom. Let's find a rapper in every country. I'm, I'm just fucking yeah, throwing yeah. ideas out. But yo, you just dropped that shit. That's what you actually did. And we can all learn from that shit. That's a big time knowledge nugget to me. I'm gonna grab it slip if I have it right here. Yo, amazing. This was the this was the first CD. So I put my logo on the front, you know, the Cali Productions. And uh and this was a full jewel case, you know, insert. The idea was that it's like a jewel box, you know, so the CD is a diamond. And wow. uh and I'm talking about insert open up flip you have all the producer credits and everything this is when people are doing the five dollar mixtapes you know with the with the one paper insert and a and the sharpie <laughs> the sharpie on the cd which i don't hate on nobody for that because get it how you get it you know but i said i gotta make this shit stand out so i i did the full production on it like the the manufacturing i bought the empty cases i got the stuff printed and we would sit in my living room and package these things and put the cds together and uh i got that influence from my father you know because like i told you he was self-employed so we used to package his products in the living room <laughs> when, when i was a kid so for me it was just natural i'm like i'm not going to pay a distributor to put all these things together i'm going to buy the empty jewel cases i had boxes and boxes of empty jewel cases literally putting the cds together slapping the insert in it and 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 dealing with that it was empire graphics downtown that uh that helped me with the printing and the the putting everything together yeah that's insanity in a great way like the fact is i guess a consistent theme in your life that i'm seeing is the desire and willingness to endure so you know what i'm motivated by um this year 2021 i want to do the hardest shit i can do just the hardest shit possible right hmm. not necessarily like on purpose but like you want to do things that are kind of hard because other people can't replicate hard things in, in the same way so within yourself it's like you did a lot of things that are impossible to a lot of people but only because you did the hard thing the hard thing is to do it yourself the easy thing is to actually hand over a thousand dollars to get 500 disc bags yo shit's pricey as fuck still to this day is what i'm saying um but like <laughs> the fact that you're yo because no, I don't really like Tom McDonald, but part of the reason he's fucking famous is he did exactly what you're doing and he hand signs every album and he ships it out himself. 
and it adds that personal edge when people know you put that extra element in right like it's kind of like that idea of love is an ingredient in cooking love is there was love that you had to have done to be willing to sit there and go through that oh for sure Mills. my heart and soul is in everything i do musically i can't i can't not do it that way you know it's the only way i know so that's so cool dude and so this one i printed up five thousand copies of this and honestly i just i just gave them out i would stand outside in front of the dome this is uh you know dome times for those montreal uh, the old heads Fuck is like dome? Joel Santana would come up and so me I would go in and so I was always on some different shit you know people are going because they want to see Joel Santana no me I want to go early I want to see the opening acts because I want to see what's popping in the city so I would go early catch the opening acts and then when the star goes on the stage me I leave and I go to the car and I get my CDs so I can stand out front so that when he's done and people start storming out I'm there handing out CDs so I'm handing full jewel case cds just for free like if they're flyers you know what i mean like literally you want a cd you want a cd people are like, oh yeah okay boom 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 we gotta pause for a second here y'all gotta understand Merca's name is fucking big in this city right now when i say big i mean almost everybody i've interviewed in the city knows who you are not the youth okay the kids are different it's a different world for them they have their own <laughs> ecosystem but let's say above a certain age the whole city bigs you up when I say that, I say, like, I'm sure whatever, whatever relationships may exist that are negative, but I encounter an overwhelmingly positive Merker Miyagi love in my life. And I think part of it stems from these kinds of taxes. So believe it or not, freemium is the big model in uh, software now. So yeah. everything is freemium. What that means is a lot of shit is free, but the really crucial shit costs money. But even Pro yeah. Tools, right? 16 tracks free, basic shit, whatever. Everything's free now. Nothing really costs money like that. But what you were doing was adopting what would become future marketing practices way back in the day. Because here's the thing. Ain't nobody going to be fucking buying these albums if you're trying to charge the $10 or the $5. But you took an L on the finances to put your name out there and spread the word. Because, yo, these motherfuckers out here is talking about how they love this shit. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're, like, noticing that. I don't know if you see the chat. But their motherfuckers in there are literally going on like, yo, I bumped that shit. It made me want to get the next one. The fact is, you gave that shit out for free. And to this day, people are talking about it because your tactic was brilliant. Listen, 5,000 CDs. That's what let me know that in the city, it's not going to take much. Because these 5,000 CDs, I didn't even give them all out here. I went to Atlanta. I gave out a bunch there. I sent some out to all the people that were on the projects and whatnot. Sent some to my sister in Europe, you know, and and uh but essentially so like maybe i don't know three or four thousand copies in montreal and like i said this is 2003 2004 2004 somewhere around there and um and to this day like you said because i still have my big cali productions like uh banner or whatever that i have in the studio and uh and people will walk in years 10 years later 12 years later and then as soon as they walk in they see it and they're like oh that's you and that's why I know, like, I'm like, bro, from a CD I put out over 10 years ago. So, like, just the, the brand recognition, that was the whole idea with putting the big logo in the front because it was to get that brand recognition, you know? So, you know, that's, sure that was- that's what we call legend, right? <laughs> that's just how I see it. Look, man, what we got to understand is that's like a big, it's a Montreal thing. You did that. You made that happen. You have people talking about it to this day. I don't know. That sounds big to me. That sounds like more than I've done. 
so I'm fucking blown away by that. Um, actually, uh, one of the best uh, compliments I got with this CD was uh, the BL, which I consider like the A&R of the label, because if he tells me a song is fire, I know it's really fire. So if, if I'm not sure about a song, it's him that I'll bring it to. So I, I call him the A&R of the label. And uh, he, he told me that uh, his sister brings CDs into the bathroom while she's showering, you know, to bump. And, and he sees the CDs rotate, you know, so like they're constantly changing. And how when this one hit the rotation, it stayed much longer than most wow. albums. And he and he, so I was like, yeah, <laughs> that was like a, a certification for me. You know what I mean? Like a big validation, so to speak. No, I realize what you're saying because I never thought about shower music. This is big. Future people shower are getting music. asked about shower music. Oh. I used to drag my speaker into the shower and bump. The, Tupac, all eyes on me. <laughs> Trading war stories. No, <laughs> Bumping I, in the shower. <laughs> um, I, I like a lot of the auto-tune shit in the, in the shower. I like to like sing. My girl, it took, it took <laughs> years. It was torture for her for a very, 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 very long time because it was awful for a long time. But I did it for years, and now it's not that awful. It's still kind of bad. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure you sing 100 times better than when you started, for sure. Big facts. But, yo, I love the acoustics in the bathroom. I don't care what it is, man. Sometimes oh, you just sure. got to get in the shower, and you just got to, like, it's not even about the shower anymore. It's just about being in the vibe because you know the hot water feels nice and everything. Anyway, I'm not trying to go too far with that. It's free um, reverb and delay, man. What do you mean? You don't have you don't need no plugins. It's 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 fucking nice. Installed into the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, no, that was uh, yeah for sure. This was like this was the beginning. You know what I mean? Of and actually, before this, actually, what made me say okay, I have to put it together and release it. I have to shout out Don Smooth. Uh, voice of the city, you know, K103. He was the one, he was like one of the only ones bump, bumping music, you know, bumping local music. He used to have the battle of the tracks, so he would have two tracks go up against each other. And uh, one of my friends brought this song because I had taken a, a Akon song and uh, like a, a album, a filler track, but I really felt it on it. So it wasn't that's obviously, it wasn't YouTube, locked right? up. Was, hmm? Is that the one that's on your YouTube? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I heard and that today. So, to this day, people are like, oh, you have a track with Akon? And I'm like, mm, I just let them think whatever, <laughs> whatever my, they want My exact commentary when that song came on, remember the days when people do that? Do people still do this? That was my <laughs> thoughts. You, you know, you know. <laughs> but And that's, I never pretended like it was, but I mean, it gave people I mean, that it's clear as fucking day that you just cut it and wrapped on it and shit. Right? Well, because I don't know if you notice, I do like a back and forth with him. You know, I have him like doing finishing my lines on certain mm -hmm. points or whatever. So I really cut it up to try to make it seem like we I did, did a joint. Now. Yeah. And so, well, anyways, that, that was no, so. That's that, cool that you explained it. Yeah, I took that. Well, I didn't take that track. A friend took that track down to the radio and gave it to Don Smooth. And Don Smooth was like, okay, thanks. I'll check it out. And they're like, no, listen to it now. And so Don Smooth, okay, he listened to it and he's like, yo, I'm feeling this. I'm putting it on the Battle of the New Tracks that night. And so at those times, Battle of the New Tracks, so it's two local tracks, right? So what you have is basically, uh, you know, your local, your, your street team, you know, your local fan base, which is, you know, your, your cousin, your uncle, whoever you can call to say, yo, call the radio station and vote for my track. Call the radio station and vote for my track. You know, so whoever you can round up to, to call the radio station and vote for your track. And I was going up against a track that had already won like 
three, four weeks in a row. So it's obviously these people are on it. They have their people calling and everything. Me, I got a phone call and said, yo, turn on the radio. I turn on the radio and my song is playing. I was like, mind blown. And it was the, you have like 20 minutes to call and vote. So I didn't have time to call people and tell them to vote and whatever. So it was just whatever happened naturally. And I beat that track that night. I won the battle of the new tracks that night without any like groundwork basically on my end against a track that were people that were doing groundwork, I'm assuming, because it was another local track and they were on their, you know, multiple weeks win streak or whatnot. So I won that, I won that day. And then I won 10 weeks in a row and I got retired in the Hall of Fame of the Battle of the New Tracks. When you win 10 weeks in a row, you go to the Hall of Fame and you get an interview with Don Smooth and whatnot. So those times like I called in, I did the interview with Don Smooth by the phone. And so we're on, I'm on the line and we're talking and whatnot. And so he, he messes with my music. And so me, I, and at that time, there is no, there is no YouTube. There, well, I mean, YouTube is probably just starting, you know, but it's not the way that it is now. So if you want to release music, you have to put it on a CD and, and hit the streets. That was the way that you got it to the people. So I, once that track blew up on the radio, I said, okay, I got it. I have to put it on a project and, and put it out. And that's when the dynamic producer and all that stuff played into it. And I put it together and actually funny story because uh, there was summer, what was it called? Summer sizzle with Sierra up at the beach club. So I remember, no, anyways, this is like, no, again, I mean, I'm listening. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like in high school. We're counting how many goes are in fucking uh, goat. Go shorty. How many goes? That's what the, the highlight of my life was then. You know. Well, for me, I'm making my way. There was a bus down because this is at uh, you know Beach Club or whatever. So they had like this bus to take you there from downtown Montreal to take you up there. I didn't know anything though. I just pulled up downtown and all the buses had already left. But so I'm there with my duffel bag full of CDs. I got T-shirts and I and I'm there St. Catherine. I'm like, bro, where's this bus? What's happening? Then these other people pull up and they're like, yo, you're looking for the bus too? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. We're trying to, you know, trying to go to Summer Sizzle and whatnot. I got these CDs. I gave the girl the CD and she goes, oh, you're Cali? I heard your track on the radio. Without... And I'm like, yo, this is what like blew my mind. You know what I mean? Like, so I go and we end up, we end up actually splitting a cab with these people to go all the way up to Beach Club because there's no more buses or anything. So it's me and my brethren Ips. We roll up there and up there, Don Smooth is up there. He's actually the MC for the event. So he's there. So this is my first time seeing Don Smooth face to face. And I'll never forget, you know, I hail him up. I say, hey, what's up? Give him a daps, lean in. And when I lean in, I tell him, yo, I'm Cali. And he goes, you're Cali. Oh, shit, you know? And <laughs> so that was like his first time seeing me. That whole day is like, feels like a dream, you know? When I look back at it, it was like, then after I meet Don Smooth and He's bigging me up, and then my brethren comes. Ips comes. He's like, "Yo, yo, this girl wanted to meet you. She she didn't believe that you were here. She said I told her oh, I, could, I could introduce you to him. And she's like, oh yeah, she wants to meet him. So then, you know, <laughs> brought him, uh, brought her up to me, and met her, gave her a T-shirt, whatever, you know. So like that whole day is just like unreal. In, in my head, it's just one of those things. It's just like unreal, you know. That's it. Side note: Shout out Tech Luciano and Natasha for having parent conversations in the chat right now. <laughs> Shout out that grown people things. I love it, dude. That's that's amazing, dude. I am like blowing a fucking way right now. If I'm like like processing, because this I'm in high school, right? So I'm not, I don't even know what a beach club is. I don't even know what a beach club is for. I've never even been. Um, 
but yo, I'm sitting there going, okay, so he's at Beach Club popping off, fucking Don Smooth there. And shout out Don Smooth. He's down to do an interview, so he's going to be coming Boy, in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, he's a legend. When you talk about legends, yeah, it's a, he's a legend. So here's how I know he's a legend. You're about the 10th or 11th person to tell me about him in a very meaningful, like your face lights up kind of way. And that's like, to me, big signs, right? Like, that's how you know somebody's a fucking legend. That's why I know you're a legend, because people light up like that when they talk about you. I appreciate you, man. But no, this guy, for sure, because he, he was he was that DJ that had, first of all, he had prime time slot. So he was bumping hip-hop music from K103, but it's, you know, in Ganawagi. But obviously, you can get in Montreal. And this is, you'll hear stories, people who came up. There, they'll tell you about putting up their antenna on their stereo to be able to catch it because if you're like all the way up in Ville Saint Laurent, you're too far to catch it, you know, or like when you play around with it and whatnot. And because this was hip hop being played at prime time, you could be driving in your car at six o'clock Monday to Friday, well, Monday to Thursday, I guess Friday was bingo night or whatever, but you could be driving in your car at 6 30 and listen to hip hop and he would play local artists, anybody, you could just send him your tracks. And if, it was, if he was feeling it, he was bumping it. There was no politics. There was no gatekeeper. There was no, he didn't have any like, you know, hidden agenda or anything. To me, it was just, he was about the scene, you know, and, and he was a big part of anybody for sure. You know, late nineties, early two thousands, putting out hip hop music in Montreal. If you didn't have Don Smooth bumping your shit, you, you, you wasn't doing it. That's it. That's amazing, man. I'm really happy you said that because, like, <clears throat> the more y'all tell me about him, the more I can give him, like, the proper respect he's due when that day does come. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. He deserves the utmost respect, always. And he's not the, he's telling you straight up, he's not the easiest guy in that era to go Google these days and go find all the good <laughs> stuff about his significance. But I know it's going to mean a lot to him to hear about the passion that all of you had for him have for him i should say um but that's crazy so i'm still sitting there tripping about the fact that you're at beach club being a fucking superstar up in montreal like popping like that's what justin bieber and shit goes to go do and you're doing that you did that like yeah. already that's fucking banging <laughs> well for sure for me it was just unreal you know and that was uh I was part of handing out the CDs. That was, uh, I went down to Atlanta, you know, I handed out CDs down there. I, uh, I went to New York, uh, to play beats, to try to get beats on projects down in New York and actually going to Atlanta to meet up. Cause this is all through dynamic producer, shout out to Felicia Booker. So this is all through her network that like, you know, she had, okay, a and R listening session in Atlanta. I said, what? Yeah, I jump on the plane. I'm there for two days, fly back, you know, I'm going to hand out some CDs, you know, try to get some beats on a project and being in Atlanta where, because in Montreal, people always try to make it seem like, oh, if I was here, I'd be big by now. Or, you know, it's because I'm in Montreal and whatever. And I'm really not a big fan of excuses. I think it's just the easy way out, you know? And, and when I went to Atlanta, I got to meet producers from New York, from Atlanta, from LA, from these big cities that people in Montreal say, oh, if I was there, I would have blown up by now. And the stories that they're telling me are exactly the stories I'm hearing in Montreal. And Dude, that's when I'm real interesting. Wait, what was this though? This is early 2000s. 
this is early 2000s and I'm realizing it's the same shit everywhere. Everybody's trying to get on. Everybody's talking about the haters in the cities, not letting them get on and whatever. And that's what made me realize, yo, all of these things are just excuses. You know what I mean? You either just find a way to do it and to break through, you know, St. Louis, Nelly was in St. Louis. There was no 24 hour hip hop station in St. Louis. You know what I mean? Like people mm. are crying about up here. There was none of that. The man went diamond. You know what I mean? Because he found a recipe that worked and not, not to go too much into his story, but he was Why signed to story, a label. Man? Well, so the <laughs> Nelly, the inspiring thing about the Nelly story for me is that he uh, he was signed to a label and the label didn't know what to do with them, which is a common thing that happens with artists. You know, the label has it. They think, oh, you know, they signed him for whatever that, um, reason. They wanted him, but not the rest of the lunatics. And he forced them to take on the lunatics. Recently, I saw a Nelly story. That's why I'm like remembering yeah. it kind of like that. And then when they had the lunatics, they didn't understand how to market them as a whole rather than Nelly, who they wanted to have like a particular vision with. For sure. For sure. That, but that's a little bit later on because this is. Oh, this is even like, before that. This is before that. They were signed okay. already to whatever label they're signed to. This is before country grammar pops and drops and so okay because okay, i think bad. Uh, yeah the whole the whole story goes i think the a and r's that had that had signed him or got him signed because the record label it's a revolving door you know so you get signed by a guy or like an a and r brings you to the label bigs you up to the label they say okay we sign them give them some advance money whatever get to working on a project by the time it's time for your project to go out that a and r that found you and believed in you doesn't work for the label anymore oh, shit. so now you're stuck with a label who just doesn't really know what to do with you and so they were having a big board meeting. Can we can we pause for a second and talk about how an ANR plays a part in a lot of this shit? Because an ANR is a word that's thrown around a lot. What is an ANR? So an ANR is is the person who goes out basically at that at those times. The ANR would be the person that hits the the open mics and the the clubs and the undergrounds and really finds the artists that they feel like deserve to be developed and invested into by the record label. So it's you're not convincing the CEO to sign you. You're trying to get an A&R to hear your sound and believe that they could do something with it. So the A&Rs are basically like the gatekeepers to the to the record label. Mm, okay. Okay, so and the A&R finds you and the A&R pitches you. And in a sense, an A&R's job is to seduce you as the artist and then seduce everybody. So they're seducers. They're the seducers. There you go. <laughs> the music okay, seducers. okay. Like, <laughs> I like that. And, uh, but then, like I said, with the revolving door, by the time it's time for your project to drop, the A&R that believed in you is not there anymore and you're kind of just floating in the wind. And a lot of artists back then, they think like, oh, if you get signed, you made it. But bro, that's just half the battle. You know, the artists that pop, they put in the work at the same time. They don't just depend on the label because the label doesn't know what they're doing. The, the label is just a bank that just throws money at this project, that project, and just sees what sticks. And when some sticks, they keep throwing money at it until it doesn't make money anymore and try to find the next thing, you know? Hold and up. so the story... So a label, honestly, if you want to parallel it, because that is a venture capitalist endeavor, upon that's, which, that's all a label is. They're a, they're a bank. They're a bank that do artist loans. Bruh. <laughs> with connections. They're, they're a bank that do artist loans with connections that take money on the back end if it pops off. So yo, if Oscar Wilde says the essence of perfect writing is brevity, I think you just explain labels in the most simple possible fucking way it'll ever be explained as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if somebody can do that simpler, they deserve fucking hella cash because yo, that it was simple. Everybody's going to know what the fuck that means, dog. Yeah, that's well, that's really what they are. And then they, they loan you the money up front and then you got to make it back for them. That's That's it, you know, and then you guys, when the money's made back, then everybody eats, you know. 
It's amazing, man. Like, I'm glad that we're having this chat. Like, I'm glad that we're able to go through these little things like that. So you're basically popping off in New York around. You're moving around. You're trying to move your shit. You're hustling. And this is still the early 2000s. This is early 2000s, yeah. You know what? Hold on. Can we just pause again? Something that's actually nifty that I've noticed with the beat makers is y'all were willing to travel in a way that the rappers were less willing to travel. And I'm not saying that it's universal. Some rappers totally did travel, actually. A few did. But I noticed that every producer beat maker guy I've talked to traveled at a certain point to actually go around and try and do some things. So I think that's just a weird thing I'm going to start watching for. But that's fascinating, no? Yeah, well... It's the, the the producers are the grinders, you know what I mean? The artists are the divas, you know, I'm not, I don't, don't want to. Spit your I, truth, man. It's a generalization, obviously, but for me, the, I, I find that producers are more willing to, to put in the work, you know, like they to try to do any kind of way, they'll send out beats to people and it, it encourage them to try to jump on it or whatever. They're, they tend to be more, I find more like intuitive in that sense, mm. of like trying to find ways to get things popping, you know, like a lot of, a lot of, especially rappers, it's it became this like way to get rich quick like oh i you know i don't want to work i don't want to do this so i'm gonna be a rapper i'm gonna spit some 16s and then i'm gonna get big chains and big cars and live the life of a star like bro no <laughs> that's not how it goes <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah Yo, i think um, your imagination like just like on that note i think one of the posts that you read recently that resonated the most with me and just your thoughts because that's what i like about your posts is these little nuggets of thoughts that pop off was the one where basically to, to summarize it is the future of all this shit is not millionaires because it's not possible it's just not going to happen and then i realized but yo everybody's going to eat because yo there's a lot of people that are going to eat now that couldn't eat when there was just a bunch of millionaires because in a weird way this is a huge benefit like i'm okay clearing 100k a year off of this yo that would be the biggest gift in life dog are you fucking kidding me off of this if this is what i get to do when i clear 100k a year that's more than i make in day job line dog doctors make money you can make doctor money and oh actually you know what that that segue i'm gonna use that into a, a story when i was younger uh when i was maybe 14 or 15 my father bought me a book that had every single profession in it and just so every page was a profession and it had just had a synopsis of just what the uh, average salary is uh, beginning salary top salary uh, and the kind of education that you need to get to have that job. So, and like, you know, two, 300 pages or whatever. So it's like everything you could think of, you know what I mean? From technician to doctor to this or to that, whatever, you know? And I'm flipping through this book and I'm flipping through this book. And first of all, none of the salaries were sufficient to me. The only ones that were in the range that I would consider decent were the doctors and the lawyers and you're talking about years and years of school and this and i said Bro, i'm not, <laughs> not into that and so that's when i knew early on that you know i'm not doing the nine to five thing i can't do that that's not i don't see like a, a light at the end of that tunnel for me at least for something that's going to be like you know like worth it for me to to invest myself into and to whatever. So I know the music thing, it's a shot in the dark and it's, you know, it's not easy to make it, but for me, I would rather not make it doing something I love than make it doing something I can't stand doing. Yeah, you know? but just to like jump off of that, oddly enough, I think the way everything's shifting, what you do is going to be a highly valued commodity because at the end of the day, it's like, the ability to be an entrepreneur creatively is a skill that you clearly have developed and in the way that sure. things are going 
um, like I think things are moving towards some kind of a subscription-based world where people are going to feel you and they're going to subscribe to you. Yeah, and that's, that's just everybody and everything. It's going to try because your software is doing it. Video games are doing it. I mean, I'm doing it here now. Technically, that's what the world is. Um, and there's no reason that you couldn't, in theory, go live on Twitch and just make beats and start getting subscribers today. Sure. Well, I actually have... I'm not going to put my whole business plan out there, but I have uh, something that's in the works for, to turn my production, music production income into monthly income. That's what it is, man. If I can, you know what I mean? Like people live off of a couple thousand dollars a month. You know what I mean? Working 40 hour weeks, doing something that they can't stand. So bro, if I can, you know what I mean? Figure out a way to get that steady stream of income, doing something I love. Like you were saying, making a hundred K a year doing music. What I will sign up for that right now. Show me where to sign. That is that would that that I used to look at making it as selling millions of records, but now to me that's making it. I'm gonna be real. I hope anybody wants to talk about anything I've created in ten years, okay? Or fifteen years, dude. Anything. I don't know, man. I'm not even that deep, so it's hard for me to say anything has longevity. But like that is my dream, right? Like when like mom I'm motivated by having a Wikipedia page worth having. Just not a negative one. I want a positive Wikipedia page. Even if it's like fucking three paragraphs, just like Holden did something worth writing about on Wikipedia. That's the left dream, dude. Left your mark, bro. At the end of the day, to me, pure artists, because I, I, I don't want to be bashing people. You know, I'm not the bashing type. And I know I made my slights about rappers that just want to try to get rich quick or whatever. But if we can move away from that, and to me, artists, real artists, essentially what they're trying to do is they're trying to live forever you know what i mean like that's that's what you want to do you want to leave your mark and you want people talking about you a hundred years from now you know what i mean like that's i think every artist at its core that's that's where the passion comes from where it's like they want to you know what i mean they want to live forever i love that and i think it's true like i think it's really cool like i don't know like i, I like the way you think about it right like look don't get me wrong i want to get rich but I want it sure. to be like the right way. I think there's right ways to get rich. Look, Ty Lopez is the wrong way to get rich. He does a lot of manipulative tactics and it kind of mercs people who are feeling vulnerable into giving up money <clears throat> to acquire information that is readily available for free. And he pretends to hold your hand through the process. And to me, like, you know, that's a dark way to go about doing things. Is it wrong or right? I don't know. I believe it's a dark way to approach it because of what I believe, right? Um, but like, then there's other ways to make money where it's like, yo, people support you for what it is. Like I got one patron or I've got a few patrons that have just paid me for years now. It's not a lot of money, dude, but like just to know that there's a couple of people that are willing to do it for years opens my fucking eyes to like a whole new world. Like, yo, people can post all their view counts all they want and everybody's going to post their view counts. But yo, for somehow or another, six people played me more than everybody else in their Spotify. Okay, five other people that are not me, four other people cutting out Bonnie played me as their number one thing, okay? That still like blew my mind. Shout out Even, by the way. Yo, the shout wife, out Bonnie. She's the best. The, the, the man behind. The, the genie, the, you know, they say behind every uh, powerful man powerful woman yo, she's the best yo she's the greatest like i don't even think i'd have anything in my life without her but that's not true but like listen i was rambunctious and she would call me on my bullshit in a way that other people would not call me on my bullshit and then she still loved me after and that was mm. weird right like that's not a thing that you you commonly get in your fucking life 
And so it just created a level of trust that, you know, maybe we don't agree on everything for sure, but at least like, you know, we respect each other enough to like be cool and, you know, offer each other respect. And that's just a beautiful thing. But yo, here's the thing. It means that like, there's just somebody there that, you know, when you pursue the 80 plus hour weeks that like kind of gets it but on top of that she's involved right like she's a moderator she's fucking handling copywriting and shit now because she sees the potential so she jumped on board like a fucking trooper so she's just fucking amazing you know without her there's literally nothing at this capacity that we're doing today like there's no way there would have been this many interviews this week without her as an example and shout out chris crumb who i see there in the chat too shout out chris crumb him too he's very helpful listen honestly straight up i know i was shouting out bonnie but Without my wife, I, you, I wouldn't be here today, honestly. Like, uh, I mean, most of the story now so far is still pre-wife time, but the monetization of my music, because at that time I was just investing, investing, investing and blowing money, blowing money, blowing money. And I had built my studio and I was doing my thing and, and people would reach out and be like, yo, I want to rent out your studio for 20 bucks an hour. I was like, bro, I didn't spend thousands of dollars to build a studio to rent it out to you for 20 bucks an hour. If if you want to collab on some music together, we can get in the lab and make some music, but I'm not renting it out to you for 20 bucks an hour. And it's my wife who got me my first client. It's my wife who told me, no, you need to do that because she got pregnant with our son. And it was like, okay. And, it, and not on some, you need to get your shit together and what, no, no, but it was just, bro, what are you doing? This is what you need to be doing. And I had told people, no, 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 no. And she had a, a like uh, her cousin's friend was looking for a studio to record at or whatever, Robert, shout out Robert. And uh, I said, okay, let's do it. I said, 20 bucks an hour, boom, let's go. And if it wasn't for that, like I wouldn't have met all the artists that I met. I wouldn't have like found my way in. Cause those times, like I said, I was investing as an artist and trying to whatever, but sh she pointed me in a direction where I was able to make money from doing something that I love. And so shout out to my wife man, for that. Yeah, that's real dope. I'm glad you share that. My wife, or not wife yet, we're not really married, but we lived together for so long. It's kind of like, is there a huge difference? I guess there's paperwork. I don't know. I don't fucking care. <laughs> that's it. It's just the paperwork. <laughs> it's just yeah. the paperwork. She's definitely acting a lot more like a wife as time goes on. I hear what the husbands say. Husbands all say the same shit. So you, you, you realize it when it happens to you and you're like, okay, I guess I'm in that <laughs> married life now. Faces what that is. Oh my gosh, all those stand up comics of yesteryear are so much funnier today. <laughs> <laughs> right? You can relate to it now. <laughs> She's wonderful, though, because she is watching. <clears throat> That's part of what makes her wonderful, right? Because she is watching. That's fucking dope. I see her in the chat and everything. I love him, and I love seeing that, honestly. It's, it's so dope. So yeah. dope. She's wonderful. Um, but yeah, anyway, I got distracted. Um, I don't even know where we were at. Making money the good way and the bad way. Yeah, but. so yeah, it's just about, to me, there's the good way. It takes a long time, but the way things are going, right? Like, it's not that hard to, like, figure out a little niche for yourself and go on the internet and find a little way to make a dollar here and there. It's, like, pretty incredible the number of people I've been able to see flip hustles like i caught them winners of covid honestly <laughs> so like i've seen a lot of people start some shit and then there's other people who it's like and this is no disrespect because life is hard life is complicated a lot of people had a lot of things happen so i'm not shitting on anyone but at a metric level there are unfortunately some losers of covid as well that kind of played into it and a lot of it might be mindset and willingness to adapt deep into the game right 100 
for sure. No, but there was there was L's for sure. It's not to take away from anybody's yeah. L's. Or I talked to people who worked at the same company, you know, like a printing company for 30 years. And then it's like, you know, they started when they were 21, they're 51 now, you know, and then, and then they get let go. And like, that's it, bro. You, you invested 30 years. Like, I'm pretty sure this person's passion was not printing. Right. You know what I mean? Or whatever the fuck they were doing there. And they spent 30 years doing that. And then now they're working at the Metro grocery store for minimum wage because of COVID. And that, those are the things that scare me. Yeah. They scared me too, dude. So I don't want to go like too far with it, but I look at my parents and for my whole life, and I don't want to go too deep with it because, you know, I like my parents. We're on good terms. But um, I just knew I didn't want to be that. And so, and I was also like kind of poor and stupid about 10 years ago, right? I wasn't living my smartest life. So I know what it is to literally try and make 12 eggs stretch because you really did blow all your money on a few three fives and shit. Okay, so I know what the dumb life is. And then I've seen what the dumb life looks like when you're old. And it's so bad, man. It's so bad when you're old. Because when you're young, you get away with it. You're cute and da-da-da-da-da. And people are very forgiving of that shit till about 25. And then it stops being cute. That's what people start saying. It stops being cute. So I think about that a lot about my future. And I'm like, yo, I don't think I've locked in being 43 and popping yet, right? So every day of my life, it feels like there's a gun to my head. And it's like, yo if you ever go back to that shit you may as well pull that trigger because that shit is that bad to me right because i've been there and i don't want to ever be there again so like i don't know man i really like a lot of the way you think yeah i started a, a corporate job a while back i'm not gonna they're very strict rules about social media and what you can say and whatnot so i never talk about it i don't mention the company not because it's something i'm yeah. hiding but it's because i yeah, want to get it my i signed that contract too my man yeah, yeah, and my page is about my music. As long as I never mention them, then whatever I say, say. As soon as I put their name as works at here, uh, nothing I say is just whatever I want to say anymore. It all like represents the company and this that. So, anyways, but working for there because I never, I never worked really in my life. I hustled all the time, and then when I started, like, and then when my son was born and everything, and I said, okay, I need to start like straightening things up. I can't just be doing whatever. And uh, I got this job every time somebody would come in they would introduce themselves and they would tell you their their uh, their path to where you know to the position where they got to in this company and every single one of them would start it with oh so uh well i started working here oh god eight years ago wow it goes fast oh i started working here uh oh, oh, oh. fast you know they all say that and i said yo that cannot be me man and i also saw somebody retire from said company and they retired so they gave their years right to this company and they printed up on a piece of paper their picture and said thank you sophia or whatever and it was posted by tape on the lunchroom wall and i said bro this will never be me i impossible i know what that's like man i worked at the la senza distribution center so I basically mm. threw bras and panties in the bins for 40 hours a week. It was kind of like, nuts. But I met the lifers, these yeah. people who were there for so long. Now, my cousin uh, works for them still to this day. Um, there's about 6 to 12 people left in Montreal across all of this company because uh, I don't know why it is, but the distribution center doesn't exist today. So all those people that did the lifer thing, imagine it's like i sit there and i imagine but yo when you're like i was young i was like 20 
So when you're 20, and motherfuckers in like 40, and oh God, but you're 20 years, and you're like 20 years of the same, the same. Dude, this shit is just literally, you walk around, and it tells you, pick up this bra, get five units of them, <clears throat> put it in this box, go to that one. But you got to keep your numbers up, so you got to be fast about it. And I'm like, this can't really be good, was really fulfilling it was it was trash and then it was just <laughs> trash i mean i mean look don't get me wrong it wasn't like a shit job because it was uh the the real the real benefit was that it was four 10-hour days so at 20 that was a fire fucking work week um, oh yeah but it was still a shit job and it made me want to go white collar because i didn't really ever want to be in that environment than be in that place forever right so I ended up going white collar and that saved my life. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, me, I think with this conversation just makes me think about the, the Jim Carrey uh, speech that he gave at a university. I'm sure you've probably seen it. It's viral and most people have seen it. If you haven't seen it, you have to look this up. He tells a story about his father who worked as a for an insurance company for many, 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 many years, only to get laid off at the end of it and have no job and not know how to take care of his family. Mm -hmm. And he told Jim Carrey, that you can fail at anything. You could fail at anything. So why not fail at something that you love? Or when I'm paraphrasing, that might not be the exact yeah, words. But you can, yeah, you can fail at anything. So it's like, why do something that you hate? Because then you could end up failing at that. At least if you do something you love, it's something. You know what I mean? I think about my kids and leaving. A, you know, do I want to be successful to to be that like? you know, that influence or that, you know, something they, someone they look up to in life to say, oh, you know, like my daddy made it so I can make it too, for sure, of course. But even if I don't make it, if they can look at me as that guy who never gave up and kept trying to do what he loves to do until my last breath, that to me, that's a success in its own. You know what I mean? Because I'm yo, telling you, like, the outcome, just do what you love, you know? Like, like, I think about it, like, yo, one day I'm hoping to have kids, you know, like, I don't know. It is what it is. You don't really have a thousand percent control of that. It is what it is. Um, sure. But let's say it goes down. It's like, I can sit there and be like, yo, we did this. It doesn't matter if I made that money or whatever. This is how I chose to spend my time. And I'm not going to lie. This is a fucking fun way to spend time. And it's just really like a cool experience. Just seeing so many people from like Montreal popping into that chat and just fucking, you know, enjoying the vibe and shit. It just inspires me. And it's like, yo, I don't, I didn't actually think I would get to 14 viewers at one time. And this is actually low. It dropped from 19 from what I'm seeing. I don't know what the real number is, but like, that's crazy that it hit oh, that many people like are actually tuning in just to check this shit right and it's like fucking like wow you know like wow this is a real thing that's actually like a thing and who knows if it goes somewhere big but even right now i could be bored but i'm not and that's the best part of this right so i can be like yo kids i'm gonna teach you how to not be bored because i don't know what bored is i don't know what that feels like anymore yo, but I love what you're doing man because because I, I watch obviously and i see like you know your genuine like your genuine desire to learn first of all i love that shit i love how you know people we're in an age of pretending you know what i mean like people will hear shit not understand shit and just and not along with it because they don't want to be that one that doesn't know and like you i've seen you time and time again say stop that i don't know what that is explain to me what that is and that is fucking dope to me because that's just Cause what's the point of skating along and pretending? You know what I mean? Like so when I'll there's. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you why. So I, I'm I'm a young guy and I was a bad boyfriend, 
And this girl was awesome. And she did a lot of cool stuff. Bless her heart. She just had a kid and shit. So she's killing it. She's like popping in life. Um, but uh, she she asked me to read this book one time to help her out. You know, like hold her down because she was busy. And honestly, in hindsight, she was legitimately busy and I was a shitty boyfriend. So I skimmed this book and I didn't actually Google what one word meant. And that word was used like a thousand times in this book. So I had no idea what the fuck the book was about and boy did she lay into me but it really like left this like impression like then she's like fine i'll have to do it myself then and you know i've had a lot of fine i'll have to do it myself moments since then right like but the truth <laughs> is is that moment was so imprinted into my memory i'm like yo not understanding things is bad and as i got older like you had to acknowledge i'm fucking terrible with people so like okay there's a lot of things i don't understand and in high school, the biggest thing I was told I was bad at was pretending I knew things. I was fronted and shit. So I used to be like a fronting little hater guy. Like nobody liked me with legitimate reason type shit. And I get it now. But like a lot of it is just miscommunication. But then I thought about arguments with all of my past girlfriends prior to this one. This one was this experiment actually. I figured I'm going to work on alignment. I'm going to work on aligning language because it was a lot of... Like the last relationship i realized there was a lot of miscommunications that led to arguments and in hindsight it was just always miscommunication so this one we spent a lot of time aligning ideas and now it's like what six years so i guess it works and uh that's kind of what it is so like especially with these new york guys these you know what i mean i'm like no dude i didn't <laughs> fucking grow up in harlem i've never even been to new york city how the fuck am i supposed to know what you mean how the fuck? I'm a white dude from Montreal in my early 30s who's only now really embracing hip-hop culture the last couple of years. I have no idea what the fuck you mean. Like, I didn't even know about the, the ad-libs thing on the tape until today. Like, how am I supposed to know what y'all fucking mean? You know, like, because it's not even Googleable. Google that shit. <laughs> when you try to google shit like what is a whatever dog it's fucking awful it's forums of bullshit for days okay people think like because yo i do the reviews people would be like google stuff and then i started saying to people because yo when you respond to youtube comments for years you start to think different you start to protect yourself more because you're just tired of the same bullshit fucking comments right um so uh you start saying things like listen i've tried to google this it's not googleable and then all of a sudden people start explaining shit in great detail and you're like oh fuck eh and then all of a sudden more and more people get like yo i think so i did this review for big ghost ltd and conway the machine's first project and big ghost ltd hit me up to clarify some shit after the review Oh, yeah, I'm a, and then I DM'd him after Liddy Bros told me he was fucking cool. I had no idea who he was, dude. Zero. And then Liddy Bros, so I hit him up and said, dude, you made, you made me look cool. And then he's like, nah, bro, you just do you. And I'm like, yo, this is so fucking weird what my life is. But like, not to like gloat about it. It's just, I got lost in thought there. Yo, big yourself up, man. That's what I'm talking about. It Because me, yeah, I'm trying to give you some shine because like I said, I, I'm a fan of yours. I watch your thing. And... What I see is because there's this genuine desire to, one, learn, to give people a platform to get their story out. And what I love about it is that within that context, inadvertently, with every, with every interview, because it's so natural in this, this conversation, you get to, you slip in your story. And it's not like, oh, okay, okay, stop talking. Let me tell you my side of the story. You know what I mean? It's not done like that at all. It's just these little, oh, yeah, because, you know, when I was in high school, I did that. And you just 
you sneak it in. So me, I, I'm watching these interviews and I'm learning about you every time. And I know it's it's inadvertent. I don't think like you sat there and said, oh, let me interview people. And then while interviewing them, I'm going to get to get my story out or whatever, you know, because it's I'm, just. No, actually, no, I'm going to have to say there was part of that. It was strategic. Um, okay. So okay. shout out Preach and Cobia. Uh, I interviewed Preach and Cobia. And this is actually how this all really started for me, like to go like next level, how it shifted at least. So I'd started the interview thing because I'd done a couple of interviews. So K Reno let me do an interview with him. K Reno is a Houston underground rapper. He's a fucking legend in that community. If you know who he is, it's a fucking big deal. If you don't, it is what it is. Google him. Anyway, so then I'm like, wow, interviews is a thing we can do. And then this other guy, Beast, had reached out and then whatever. And then I interviewed a random guy, but I didn't really do a lot with it. And then I'm like, you know, interviews are easy. So I got, I went out to Toronto and I'm like, let's link up with Meyer Clarity. Let's do a fucking interview with him. So I did. And he did it. It was shit. Well, not to say it was shit. Meyer, it was a good interview on your end. I was shit because I was stoned out of my mind and I was full. I don't know if you've ever been really full and really stoned and sweaty and just not in the right vibe for like a fucking anything. That's what was really happening for me. So it was a shit interview on my end. Anyway, it was cool though because we were in Toronto and it was a good time. And then um, I start doing more of them, people coming through and whatever, whatever. But then I get to preach and preach talked at me for about two hours and I got about five words in on all reality and he gave me history lessons. But then preach was watching a couple of them and he's like, dude, you're dealing with rappers. So like make sure that you fucking talk or it's not your show right but at the same time i'm watching joe budden i'm watching joe rogan i'm watching a little bit of drink champs and shit yo because they do the market research it's not like the, any of these things are random right so i'll be real with everyone because i'm not gonna fight fucking hide my tactics i hit you with the tangents the way i do and make sure we keep going random because in a way it's like what alcohol is going to do to your brain i find and it lubes you up so that by about the two hour mark of the interview if it's still running that long that's when the real shit starts almost look at drink chops it's about two hours in when everybody smashed it the real shit starts but part of it too is you learn about nore you learn about joe budden you learn about these people and the truth is is nobody really was giving me all that much love and attention before this so it's not even that i want to hijack the show and make it there but like if we're not having a conversation where at least so i time it too like i'm watching the clock and i know okay the first hour is all about marker and then after that i start to slowly even it out to like more of a conversation point so that we get into like the anyway so it's to me it's all like it has to be like thought about like that like if you're not trying to make a bigger point with it then this is a, like a big calling card right like how am i going to get my name out if i'm not like part of it you know like genius it's a genius honestly and it's natural the way you do it it's smooth that's why like i watch you and i feel like sometimes it's you know like you it's like uh, you're sparring with people conversationally and some people don't don't hold up their end you know what i mean and you kind of outshine them it's not that you're taking it over or anything like that but it's like you're giving them the platform you're telling them hit me and they're like but like i also got a lot more experience right in the way that maybe you could probably whip a beat out of your ass i failed for years on youtube i don't want to mm. say failed but by my standards of numbers and success and where i wanted to be four years deep in the game i failed hard dog i didn't take l's but i failed hard right so like we had a core thing that grew and whatever whatever so when i'm coming into this though it's like i'm in month 50. it's not like i'm in the beginning now so i have a skill set that's almost been developed specifically for long-form content I and then i started doing it myself this year because chris couldn't come by no more so i'm like fuck it i'm gonna start talking to the camera more and then it turned out that was dope and people liked it so i just started doing it by myself 
And when you just pop off album review after album review by yourself talking to a camera dog, and you just come to this. This is great. This is just a fun version of that shit. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's enjoyable to watch, honestly. When you have somebody that's going back and forth with you properly, it's, it's very enjoyable to watch. I think that's cool. I mean, the number is not going to a disappointingly low point, so I'm really fucking feeling happy and hyper about it. People keep chatting and shit. It's fucking dope to me. It's a great experience. So then like, I saw that. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I saw that in one of your recent videos, you had a you had the gray toque instead of the Montreal's finest toque, mm. and I said, I hope he has the Montreal's finest toque when he does mine, because that's you know what I mean. That's, <laughs> I, I was it was so it's not like it has. So I try to do it for every interview. I might not do it if I'm doing something else because, like, honestly, I'm, like, kind of, like, worried about it. But, like, you know, sometimes I got to go through it in the laundry basket a little bit here and there, you know, and stuff. But in general, like, it's actually really important. It's This is also strategic. I don't actually have anything else that says Montreal. So when I talk to Iron Solomon, you can't watch that video without seeing and th hearing Montreal, right? And when I talk to anybody else moving forward, and we have a couple of interesting names that I don't know if I can announce yet or not, whatever it is, what it is, you're going to see Montreal there because that's really important to me. And I didn't know that when I started, but I learned that along the way. And now it seems to be smart and people like it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. Me, marketing-wise, I, I love it. I think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. Um. Anyway, let's go back to you, though, because, I mean, as much as I love talking about myself, my girlfriend has definitely heard most of this shit before, and she is right there. She's the last comment I can see. I can picture her going, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, she actually does do that. Uh, love you, bunny. Um, but let's go back to you. It's, like, early 2000s, and, yeah, stuff happens. Yeah, so stuff happens. What I'm doing, I'm realizing that, uh, yeah, that everybody's story is the same. You know what I mean? That much, being in Montreal is not an excuse to not do it. So it's either you're doing it, or you're not, you know, and it's, it's as simple as that. And especially with the internet nowadays, it's like, right, you don't even have to go to these places anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you can just flip on your computer and you can go anywhere in the world and you can promote and you can network and you can link with people. And so it's like the excuses shift that went out the window and you started grinding, you know? So the first CD was, was this one which was, like I said, a mix of other people's stuff and whatever. And I'm just going to go grab it quickly. Cause it's here. Do your thing. Then the second CD, keeping with the marketing, same. Boom, Cali Productions in the front. Now we're diamond. You know, we went for I got a silver. question. Talk to me. Why are you not on the cover, but it's just a logo? It was, it was marketing. It was to push the brand. It was to push the brand. That was really the idea. I wanted to make the brand because... It wasn't just supposed to be for me. It was supposed to be a brand that everybody can do their thing and come out from under, you know, but actually one th marketing thing that I didn't think about that kept happening to me, which is actually how I ended up with my name that I have today now, the Merkur Miyagi, is actually because, so people started calling me Cali, so I was Cali. Then people said Cali Productions, so okay, Cali Productions was the company. Then, But then it would be like Cali produced by Cali, Cali Productions, it's just Cali, 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 or people would think that Cali Productions is a group, you know, because I would, I would do shows and I would bring my mans onto the show so that they could do the show and they thought, they thought Cali Productions was a group. Brilliant. And, and I'm like, bro, but it's Cali Productions is not a group. So I said, okay, I have to like distance myself from that. And then I made Merker Music. So Merker Music was supposed to be the umbrella now that I can be Cali under and other artists can be themselves under and it's not looked at as a group and it's just the label and whatever. But Facebook is popping around those times, started popping. So I made a page 
and you couldn't make a page Merkur Music. They didn't have business pages back then. This is like the early, early beginnings of Facebook. So I couldn't, it couldn't be called Merkur Music or, you know, Cali Productions. You couldn't do those things. So I called it uh, Merkur, what was it now? I can't remember now. It became Merkur with an M too. It was Merkur something. Fuck, I can't even remember now. Anyways, Merkur something. And then like, and it was supposed to be a Facebook that everybody uses. Everybody on the team can use it and network and whatever. And then two twos, it, it ends up being just me that's using it. And then, then people, once again, I just, so then people will come to the studio and identify me as Merker and say, hey, Merker. And it's like, bro, my name is not, not Merker. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's Cali. And it was so weird when people would call me Merker. But then like, Cali is ungoogleable. You're never going to be able to find any of my music under Cali. I've dropped plenty of music. I have music videos. But under Cali, it's unsearchable. I'm going up against the state of California. There's too many, you know, like, Googleable things from Cali for me to pull it up, you know? So I said, okay, fuck it. I'm going to work with what's working. You know, I'd have people at work say, oh, I try to look you up. I couldn't find your music. You know, they know my government name. They can't find under that. They know my Facebook name. They try to find under that. They, they couldn't find my music. I said, okay, I have to stop this. And so once again, adopted the company name as my, my own name. It's like, you know, when you try to do something and it just keeps sending you back. So fuck it, we'll do Merker. And if, if you Google Merker Miyagi, it's my things are the first things that pop up. Yo, you know what I mean? Speaking of Googleable, I tried to go by HSR at first. And mm. that's a bad idea because it's the fucking name of the Hamilton bus service. It's the name of the new train <laughs> shit. It's also this beat maker. So I actually had to rebrand, but I actually launched my Spotify without looking it up first. So now all of a sudden I'm sharing my first bit of Spotify with this next guy. And then I'm like, he's got way more views than me. And then people kept being like, bro, why is there this beat maker on your shit? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I had to rebrand as my like government name. Cause I'm like, fuck it. That's how he's Googleable. So I appreciate where you're coming from. But I actually have a question that I forgot to ask before. So when you were talking about that remix track that you did with Akon, I saw that there was this 50-something week challenge that was linked in several of your videos from that time in 2005. This is 2005 because that's what your YouTube said. So tell me about this challenge because there's only three or four of them that are available there. And where are the rest of them and what is this challenge about? Okay, so the 52 weeks was actually what I came up with a few years ago when I decided, okay, I... I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm a father, I have a family to take care of. I can't be spending $2,000 on a music video. You know what I mean? I can't be like, there's just better things that my money could be going to or more important things. You know what I mean? Like I can't be having my son in shoes with holes in it because daddy's pretending to be a rap star in music videos. You know what I mean? Like that's not an option. So I said, what can I do to, to get my name popping? You know what I mean? Like, social media is free you know what i mean like i also realized that um if i just walk up to somebody randomly and say yo check out my track and they listen to my track it's yeah that's cool it's like basically the best possible reaction i could get maybe one out of a hundred will be like no that, that's actually dope and whatever but for the most part there's no connection to it so i realized that it's not about the music it's about it's about the story, the person, the artist. That's what people buy into. They buy into the person and the music is just one of the ways that they consume that person. So you have to make them a fan of you and then they'll be open to your music. You feel me? I, I people would come you. here. 
people come to the studio, they pull up with people, whatever. If I'm just myself and we're hanging out and we're chilling and smoking, whatever, and then I crack my jokes and whatever, people vibe me and say, yo, that's a cool guy. And then we come inside and I say, yo, and then I don't even tell them, like, I make music or whatever. It just comes up naturally in conversation. Yo, and yo, Kelly makes music too, eh? I say, what? Okay, uh, let me hear a track. Okay, boom, play the track. Yo, that's fire. And that because they've like they've already bought into they've already been like sold on who I am as a person and so the music is just like you know what I mean they can more connect to it so I said right I just have to connect with the people online I just have to be myself dog that was the biggest of the knowledge nuggets man like literally what you said about the people in the music right there people don't realize why I'm focusing so heavy on these interviews and fuck your album review your album review is a little bit of an experiment so i could tell everybody else to fuck off i'm not gonna lie and no offense to anybody else but like look man you looked at how many people hit the like button how many people hit the share button how many people commented and said this is so fire this is so dope and i can tell you about 20 people watch that shit okay so yeah, that's yeah. what i can tell you about the album review we got yeah, lit yeah, yeah. people fucking invested here and people even peep this after maybe not we'll cut up a couple of clips maybe people will peep that but at least this is funner for me so i made that album review to test it out and to get some numbers and shit whatever but the reality is is people actually want to hear your story and they actually want to hear your thoughts and when they when they hear your thoughts and they hear your story and they see that you're a sincere and legitimate person at that point will they then become a consumer this isn't some shit we're making up okay this is how software companies market heavily to you i can't go into details on some of that contract shit because it's dangerous with software but if you just go google anything about online web marketing you're going to see that it's all about journeys and relationships right so journeys and relationships is everything in this era and you expect it as a person you expect it with every company that you deal with so why wouldn't we expect it with our artists and the local scene and shit like that and that's part of what attracted me to your brand i mean i don't know the cali part so i'm kind of glad you sent me that link you sent me yesterday because i never would have fucking thought cali aka juice I don't know. we'll get to that but like i never would have found that dude i just never would have um but the Merker thing is how i know you so that's how i know you but part of it isn't really your music dude it was more like when you said because i've been following you for a while on your Facebook post. I didn't want to like be an asshole and be up in your comments not knowing you, but I watched for a while and I hit some likes and then here and there I teased some shit and you seemed to respond well, so I kept going. Um, but then you dropped your album and I listened to it and I'm like, bro, this guy's that, this is it. Like, it is exactly like, yo, there is a zero disparity between who you are as a person on Facebook and the uh, music that I heard. That it is what it is face that is it is so prevalent man i love it that's that's why it gets it's there in the fucking screen it's part of your brand in my opinion that shit i love it it's my favorite fucking thing dude it was that thing alone that really caught my eye at first because you just know you're not you never take you just put things out there and shit anyway okay yeah. i'm uh, uh but, but, but to, yeah <laughs> to go back to the 52 week thing because that was it i said okay i have i have to get my story out well a combination of wanting to get my story out and the fact that I had been creating music, making CDs, all this stuff, and, and none of my shit was really available digitally. So I say like, yo, if I die tomorrow, like my shit dies on my computer and with whatever physical copies are left, and then that's, that's the mark that I leave. So it doesn't make sense. All of my music has to be on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on whatever, because even if I just put it up and it gets five views and whatever, and then when I die, everybody goes and listens to it, whatever, who cares? It's the fact that it's available if, for the people that want to find it. And so the 52 weeks, it was the, it was the 52 week journey 
of dropping a track every week. That was the idea. So I, I like I announced it. I said, this is my story. I started with my crisscross story. That, that, that's when I decided, oh, you know, I when it became in my head possible that I could do this. And that was the ignition. And then with every song, I share like the, the story behind it. Because, you know, I used to read, I would read uh, the source. They would talk about, they would interview artists about their music, right? And you could ask one artist about their song and there's a story behind it. It was, oh, this song, it means the world to me. It was, you know, when this happened in my life, I, you know, figured this out, yada, yada, yada. What, like there's this whole thing. And so this is me expressing that, whatever the case is. And I said, okay, that's fire. And then you would, they would ask other people and they'd be like, yeah, we, we were in the studio and Jimmy threw on this beat. And then so I, I did a verse and then, and then Whoopty Woo jumped on it and he did a verse and then that's the track. And I'm like, bro, what is that? That's literally nothing. It's just random words you guys put together. Not, not to discredit like, you know, vibing in the studio and just creating to create. But it's just for me, it's like, okay, that's a whack song to me. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing behind it. And all my music, it's me expressing something that I, you know what I mean? Like from the heart or whatever the case is. So I said, okay, I can put these songs up and I can t give the story behind the song. And maybe if people know the story behind the song, they'll be more inclined to listen to the song. Or if they know the story behind the artist, they'll be more inclined to listen to the song. And, I, and the idea was to put out a song every week for a year, 52 weeks. And then at the end of it, drop the Long Nights EP. And so that was my marketing because I knew I didn't have marketing money to invest and so i said okay this is the way that i'm gonna do it and it's fucked up because i never actually went all the way to the 52 weeks i, I topped out in the 40 something fell off towards the end because but because it worked so it's not you know what i mean i'm not mad at it because it, it literally it worked it's that's that's how like the reason why people fuck with me online and whatever it was from there i actually sat down had a conversation with a young major shout out to major and it was with him, to be completely honest, I don't even remember the conversation, so to speak, exactly what it was. But from speaking with him that night, it was like just moment of clarity. You know what I mean? A like flash of genius or whatever they call it. And I said, ah, that's how I'm going to make it work. And that's when I put together the 52-week thing. And that's when I started sharing these songs, when I started posting them on SoundCloud. If you go to the, the Cali, a.k.a. Drew SoundCloud, just some of the songs, like the Akon doesn't go on SoundCloud because they, they they know it's a, they recognize that it's a release song and it gets blocked. So there's some stuff I wasn't able to put up everywhere. But for the most part, I would put it on YouTube. I would put it whenever I post it on Facebook, you know, and, and that was the 52 weeks. So the 52 week journey, my music life, Merker music is the same three, four hashtags that are there. And uh, that, that was how I built up the traction and then how I eventually became Merker Miyagi and, you know, the reason why we're kind of here today. <laughs> oh, but for real, that 52 track thing is like big time how content marketing actually works, right? It's regular, consistent, you know, of a quality level and then over a long ass period of time you build up attraction and it makes a lot of sense to me. Like you, a lot of people are even doing it now. Like Webby did it with Webby Wednesdays, uh, Crooked Eye did it. A bunch of them have done it at this point. And you're doing it in 2005, right? You know, no, uh, no, 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 no. This is now. This okay. is like two, three years ago, but it's the songs are, cause then I'll, I'll put like beside, I'll oh, be like, okay, okay week, so I got that a little four. bit mixed up. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, week four, this is a song from 2005. And so I try to do it kind of chronologically oh. too. So the song, because then people see the the me developing as an artist too right they get to see the growth i'm like okay this is how i used to sound 
and then they get to see me like finding my sound over time you know what i mean so i went from the oldest songs and dropped them build up to the you know what i mean to the most recent and like i said the pinnacle is the long nights ep so this is like two years three years ago okay, that okay. I, I, I honestly thought that these tracks were like back in the day because i was yeah yeah, the tracks are from back then, but just like put up online, like the Akon song was only available by CD. Okay, so you're saying these are songs from back in the day that you only started releasing recently. Like re-releasing digitally. Okay, okay, okay. I'm they following now. Digitally, you know what I mean? They weren't available digitally, so I get to say, and I get to tell the story, you know, when I dropped the Akon track, it's the, this is my first song that got played on the radio, and shout out to Don Smooth, and you know what I mean? Like, because all these people played a part in my story, of course, so I get to like, you know what I mean? It's all intertwined and it's a it's a story and i mean it's my story okay so i only asked that question because i thought i don't know i saw some 2005 shit so i didn't realize whatever whatever so let's go back to like you know the the 2000s when you're doing your thing and what's going on over there yeah so after after the first one the second one was all produced by me and ips the the other producer on the label my brother and um and so that one was uh, was like really a full fledged album, you know. But you, back then you couldn't call things an album; it had to be called a mixtape, otherwise nobody would listen to it. So that's when uh, that's when we dropped that one, and it was all in house produced, and uh, and we we kept it pushing. But then after that is when my son was born, and now I couldn't I couldn't afford to print up five thousand copies of shit and just do whatever, you know, and. And I was tired of, because like the Cali Productions is basically, it is my, it's my sound, you know, but everybody is on it. There's like three, four other rappers that are on it. And I said, okay, it's not fair that it's just my sound, because this is supposed to be a platform for them to do their thing too. So after the second one of this series, by the way, this was called I'm Keeping My Soul, Volume 1 and Volume 2, because the idea is that I wouldn't sell out mm. to the industry. It was about being genuine and just music from the heart. So it's called Beautiful. I'm Keeping My Soul. And then, but then, so after the second one dropped, I said, okay, this isn't fair to the artists that I'm working with. They should be able to express themselves how they want on the sounds that they want. And this is when SoundClick is starting to pop off and all that. So I stopped selecting beats completely. I said, yo, I just sat back and said, yo, whatever you guys want to jump on, that's what we're jumping on. So we're jumping on beats from producers from Colorado and from here and from there. And the sound is different now. The sound is harder and whatever. And at that point, at that point, that's when I really came into myself as an artist because forcing me to rap on beats that I wouldn't normally rap on just made me learn different flows and different ways of making the words fit onto the beat and everything. And it totally, it's like I would have just stayed the same artist. I would have just been running around in circles doing the same thing forever. But that totally opened me up. And actually a moment that really marked me was uh, when the Black Album dropped by Jay-Z. I listened to that Black Album, and for me, it was like the majority of rappers, especially with the beats nowadays, with the beats that are so fire, that it's like you you don't disturb the track. Like as long as you just come on and you just rap on beat and just don't disturb the beat, the song can run and people will listen to it, but they're just listening to the beat, really. They're not even really listening to you, right? Mm -hmm. And Jay-Z on that album, I felt like it was like he was making the beats go to his voice as opposed to his voice just you know like blending into the beat with his pauses and with the way that he would do it it was like he wasn't letting the beat like if you visually if you can picture somebody getting dragged by their dog it's like most rappers are getting dragged by the beat and he was like no it's my song it's 
my beat. The beat's going to do what I want it to do. And he does his thing. And that just totally changed the way that I started making music. I wouldn't just, I, you know what I mean? I say what I want to say when I want to say it. I pause when I want to pause. It's my fucking song. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't let the song, the, the beat drag me anymore. And it's also around that time that I stopped writing. Because um, somebody read my rhyme book at one point, And my rhyme book was like, a diary you know what i mean to me so i would write stuff that would never get recorded or whatever and i didn't like the idea of somebody being able to pick up and read my things and not get to like hear it how i'm delivering because it's you know with rap it's a lot about cadence it's about flow it's about you know what i mean like emotions and whatever because so, you can read a rap and be like bro what is this and you hear the man spit and you're like oh fuck, that's dope and so i didn't want people being able to read my lyrics anymore and so I started just creating in my head instead. So I'm not freestyling, but uh, I just take the time instead of like coming up with a line and writing it down, I come up with a line and I store it and I spit it and I add another line and in my head and I add another line and I add another line. And then when I have the 16, I go and I drop it. And sometimes I put verses together that don't get recorded and then I forget them. And that's it. That's just a verse that just never got to, you know what I mean? Like take, form physical form and whatever it's lost in the in the creative heaven or wherever wherever songs go that, that don't get made and uh and so i stopped and that too like not writing because the way i used to write it was very much each line is a bar so i would da, 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 you know the rhyme would come at the end of the line and then i would even write it kind of like how sheet music is written like if i write and then i pause like the next line, I won't start it at the beginning of the line. I'll start it halfway through. And that's for me to know that uh, I'm letting that breathe. And then I come in here. And so that's how I used to write my bars. But it like kept me within this box. And when I stopped writing and I started just putting them together in my head, I started, I started just feeling like I could put words and rhymes wherever I want now. It's not, it doesn't have to come at the end of the line here or, you know what I mean? Whatever. If I try to write a rhyme now, it's like, it's going to sound like my first rhyme. Went from the devil, you ain't got the mouth. Like it just, it's like, it just restricts me. And so from, from being able to just write in my head, it just opened up everything for me. And that's, that's when my music, I felt like I really came into myself as an artist. I like how you just like humbly bragged that you can just compose tracks in your head and speak that shit like Jay-Z. Okay, I just want to put that out there. That was that was well done. I appreciate the way you delivered that shit, dude. That was a fucking plus. But impressive, dude. That is really impressive. I'm really like, I, like I'm never gonna be that dude. Cause fuck it, I just, I'm never gonna be that dude. That sounds hard. It sounds like a kind of hard. I don't need to pursue. <laughs> well, honestly, I don't brag about it because for me, it's easier like that. So that's so why I don't look at it like, oh, this genius thing that i do it's just like for me like that's when things became easier for me you know what i mean and it's around that time it's towards the end of the, like on this cd there's like one track that i did like that but then the next cd after which hold on I'm gonna go <laughs> let's get it yo thank y'all for being with us by the way i appreciate y'all in the chats i'm watching that after that it was the chase so after that it became like let's get it now you know what i mean my son's born we got to make this thing pop we got to go you know what i mean we got to have commercial viability i'm gonna let other artists do their thing and everybody's gonna shine and we're gonna do this together because i was always investing and in putting up the money before and now i couldn't do that anymore so i said okay well i'm gonna let everybody pick the beats i'm gonna let everybody do their thing so it's really everybody's project and not just me you know like forcing people to jump on beats that i want to jump on or whatever the case is i'm gonna open it up 
and then we're going to print up a hundred copies and we're each going to put in a, you know, a 30 bucks and we're going to print up a hundred copies and then we're going to sell those copies and then we're going to print up more and we're going to sell more. And so when we did the chase, by the time we were printing up the chase, we had the chase two ready already. All the songs were there and done and we were excited. So we had printed up a hundred copies of this. We had sold a hundred copies and people are calling me and they're telling me, yo, I just sold a CD. Yo, I just sold a CD. I said, bless. Okay, perfect. So come bring the money back so that we can print up more. I wasn't telling them like, send me the money so I can put it in my pocket. I was telling them, yo, let's print up more CDs. And man's didn't bring the money back. And I said, okay, that, that's cool. I don't have the money to be able to print them up myself anymore. So that's just not even an option. I'm not trying to be an asshole and making sure everybody puts in. It's like, bro, if we're going to do this, we all have to put in. And they didn't want to put in. And then they're like, oh, let's drop the chase too. I'm like, bro, we we didn't even release the chase one properly. We only have a hundred copies out of the chase one. If we just drop the chase two, it's like we're throwing chase one in the garbage. Like this makes no sense. We spent the time doing it. So I said, no, we're not dropping the chase two until the chase one gets done properly. And then when it's time to put up or shut up, a lot of people start getting quiet mm. and then people go their own way. And then you end up being the only one that's left really holding the torch with the brothers that really hold you down. And so, uh, so then I, that's when I had to recalibrate and say, okay, it's time to focus on my thing. And at that time I started recording out. Now I was recording artists. So I'm working with all these different artists from Montreal and like, and honestly, it was just really a magical experience in the sense that I never, I never promoted the studio. I never like printed up flyers for the studio. I never, you know what I mean? Like, never really did like hourly packages and all this stuff. I just like, I was just doing me and just from word of mouth and people bringing other artists and whatever, I ended up working with everybody that was like popping at that time. You know what I mean? The, the Millie Mills, the Boy Blues, the, you know what I mean? The Eye Blast and all these people who come to the studio just from, just naturally, you know what I mean? So it was this happening. And then, so since they're coming, I'm playing them my beats, they're jumping on my beats too and whatever. So I have all these songs and I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to put out a producer album. And that was the, the dead on arrival. The, cause I, I branded myself as the digital doctor. Shout out to Prezi for that one. Cause <laughs> I was trying to find a name for myself. And, uh, he, he, uh, it was, I was like bouncing around with like Dr. 514 and all these type of things, whatever. And he was like, bro, he's like digital doctor. He's like, and your studio is the clinic. And I said, Oh fuck that's dope so from there the studio started getting called the clinic i was the digital doctor and i put out you know album a uh, producer album push that a bit or whatever but now i'm four albums deep in releasing music three compilation one producer album even when i said okay i'm gonna do my thing now what did i do i did a producer album where i have songs where i'm not even rapping on it it's just i produced it and the other mans are rapping and I said, bro, what am I doing? I still have yet. Now I'm like, I don't know how many years in the game, how many projects into the game. And I don't have a solo project. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's when I started the 52 week journey thing. And actually the, the Jack Johnson EP that I, that I sent you the other night, th those are like technically like, song like 46 47 48 49 50 like so somewhere around there i was like okay i'm putting out these five songs because it's a project i didn't want to put out these songs individually it was already a conceived five track project that i was sitting on it was supposed to be my second project after the long nights 
I was going to follow up with the Jack Johnson EP. That was how I always planned it. But with the 52 week journey, it just fit in. And I said, okay, I have to drop it. And so that essentially became my first solo EP that I put out. Is there a story to that? What I mean is it feels like the song, okay, like I didn't have enough time to like really do a super deep, yeah, yeah. deep dive, but like, like I know the last track had a, some serious subject matter being discussed. Um, and it felt like throughout the project, there was a story arc that took place. Now I'm not going to lie. I look for this shit and sometimes I make it up. So I don't know if that was a thing, but I yeah, think yeah. every album is a story and there should be an arc. And if your album doesn't have a story arc, yeah, think about that. Yeah. No, it was, it was for sure. It was honestly inspired from Jack Johnson's music because when my friend introduced me to the Jack Johnson, like I heard one track and I was like, what? I got to sample this. And then I heard more tracks and I'm Which like, was I want to track. Uh, the track that launched me was the, um, uh, it's, fuck, I don't know the name. I'm not good with names. My yeah. <laughs> song name. But it's uh, sitting, not the sitting waiting. It's not the sitting waiting. It's the, sorry, man, I'm blanking. That's not good, man. Don't worry about it. But uh, it's, so I heard that. And then it was, I heard the next one. I said, I want to sample that one too. And I heard the next one. I want to sample that too. And I said, okay, so for sure, I'm doing a whole project where it's only his samples. And so all the songs were really inspired by by his music. So it's the, it's really what it brought out of me. And and listening back, it's what well, storytelling, but within the storytelling, it's a little bit preachy, I find, you know what I mean? Like, in a, in a way, and I didn't, I didn't want that. That wasn't the idea. And so that's why I called the EP, I don't know Jack. It's a double entendre. So I don't know Jack Johnson. So I'm pretending like I made a project with Jack Johnson, but I don't know Jack. And at the end of the day, all this shit that I'm talking, I don't really know shit either. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> at the end of the day, this is just my feelings. You know what I mean? Like it's genuine. It's my feelings and I'm expressing myself, but like, I'm not trying to say I know what's right and what's wrong and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's really just a lot of it is me talking to myself, which is the same thing with my, with my Facebook statuses. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people, like, I don't know me. It's, it's just, even when I'm bashing people, I'm bashing myself. You know what I mean? I'm making fun of myself. It's like, these are things that I do. And so I, and I'm like pointing the finger and people think like, oh, I'm talking shit. I'm an asshole or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you're hearing how I talk to myself, bro. I'm an asshole to, to myself. You know what I mean? Like, and, it's also and, like a level of like reflective self-awareness too. So like the, the problem is, is the truth is an unpleasant thing. And if you look at how middle-class normative society is structured, right? The normal, the common sense is all of this shit. It's really attached to like one like perspective of of like life but this perspective isn't very self-aware it's it's mm. kind of the opposite it's about like you know veiling things it's about uh, like the pleases and thank yous and and all of this like routine ritualistic shit that everybody just kind of agreed upon in the 50s or whatever that this was cool and this is what it is and i'm like okay fair enough you guys do your thing i'm not really good at that shit it is what it is but um when you when you like when you like ugh. so when you really think about the truth the truth doesn't really fit into that paradigm because that paradigm is about conformity in a big sense and the truth is like yo you can fucking just google trend shit and look up how many people make the n-word jokes and you're like yo <laughs> yeah racism's not dead dog that's way too many searches it's not like <laughs> hidden data you can just go do that right now right and i guarantee you that number is going to be unappallingly high because 
that or appallingly high, whatever. I said it backwards. It's what the fuck it is. It's it's eleven something. I'm I'm not like I'm not. This is past my bedtime type of shit. But we grinding. I'm loving this, dude. This is fucking is. You're you're a VIP dude. You're a VIP fucking guest. That's what it is. Yeah, I appreciate it for real. Bro. But um, yeah. So it's like when you spit the truth. What I see you doing is spitting truth. And the problem is, is that motherfuckers don't like it when you spit truth. Like, look, truth isn't like fucking perfection like no it should be like implied i don't know everything like why do i need to iterate that i kind of just have an opinion based on things like why is it like deep down inside it's like yo because you are write my fucking essay paragraph shit it's fair enough i do my thing but again i'm talking to myself she does not want to hear it she's heard it (laughs) Okay, who else am I talking to? I'm literally locked in my apartment, 8 p.m. curfew starting, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> like, what are we, like, what am I supposed to say about that? She just said, well, it's true. She's heard all of it, because what happens is I run through the whole story again, and I add, like, a line. That's how I songwrite. I write the whole verse, I spit, 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 and I add a line. But I do it on paper. So it's what you yeah. do in your head, and then I just write the next line down, whatever. So I actually really relate to how you structure that. But what happens is, is I run through the whole idea and at the next point, so she's got she's got to listen to all that shit. So instead, I started turning to Facebook, because at least twenty likes is better than blah 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 blah. Yourself for sure, for sure. I mean, I try to condense me too. I have my big posts, but I try to stay away from those. I try to when I have a thought or whatever, it's it's a whole thought. There's a whole backstory to the thought. There's a whole you know what I mean. Like you if somebody, meme. I, I, can, huh? I can't meme. You can no? meme. Yeah, because it's about condensing that exactly into into like one thing. I I, I kind of use Facebook like Twitter, you know what I mean, with the 120 characters or whatever it is. It's like I have to, I might have people's attention for three seconds. So I got to get my point across in three seconds, bro. I'm, I can't expect everybody to, to hit the read more button and sit there. And, you know what I mean? Like I know me, when I open a video, if I see, if I'm interested by a video and I click on it, but if that shit is over three minutes long, I'm closed. I'm not even starting it. I don't have time for that shit. You know what I mean? So give me a video that's 40 seconds, something like that. that I, you will get my whole 40 seconds. You know what I mean? But bro, I'm checking shit quickly throughout the day. I don't have time to sit down there and take in a 15 minute video. Like, bro, I just don't have time for it. You know? So it's, everything is like quick now you have to, and actually it's reminding me of something that helped me a lot with my music. I learned from Kanye. Cause uh, when you listen to a Kanye verse, you hear everything that he says. You know what I mean? Like there's layers to it in the sense where if you really dig in, of course, yeah, okay, there's like metaphors and or whatever and this, that, but he's, he, I call it spoon feeding it to you. He spoon feeds you his lyrics to the point that like on the first listen, you can pretty much catch everything that he says. Mm. And that's what made me like slow down the way that I rap, stop trying to put too many words in there put pauses at the end of the line so that people can have time to take in that one. Cause, cause when they go, Oh, that's a fire line. They miss the next two to three lines. You know what I mean? So I give them that little pause so that they can take it in before I start the next part. So, and I learned that from, from him, it's the spoon feeding and I apply that to my statuses too. You know what I mean? I try to spoon feed them, give them a little, a little thought, a little blurb. It might, they might, Oh, and then they might ask a question. Yeah. Go ahead, ask the question. I, there's there's a whole story behind it, but I'm I'm not giving the whole story to everybody. It's just mm. whoever cares enough, whoever's interest was piqued enough by that line, I can tell you what's behind it. Or I don't even have to tell you. You can take whatever you want from it. It doesn't matter. It's just me talking to myself anyways, you know? I'm not going to lie. 
I love what you're saying because it totally is facts. And then I, I just happen to not, none of what you're saying applies to me. It's really weird. <laughs> okay. So think about it. You subscribe to my shit. I make the longest shit. I make the longest album reviews. I make the longest everything. Dude, when I started writing these Facebook posts, it's because she said to me, pay attention. When people like it, do more of that. When people don't like it. Do you know what I found out? People will read a 500 word Facebook post. If I write it for some reason, I mean, look, some of these posts bomb, some of them suck ass. There's just, it is what it is, but believe it or not, I pay attention to the performance of my Facebook post and I go, okay, wow. Yo, we sit there and she's like, nobody's going to like that. And those are the ones that fucking pop off and shit. And then I'm like, sometimes I'm like, yo, I got some fire here and it literally gets no likes. And I'm like, but you know what I realized though, is that if you say the right things, like you know, like that, what about like burnout or whatever that I was talking about? You say the right things and you explain it with the right amount of detail. People will read it because they'll resonate with them in the same yeah. way that like your know, song amount words doesn't matter as well. You'll listen for mass appeal. What you're saying is totally true, but there's always a market for the other shit, which is also yeah. just something worth remembering. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's amazing. VC music just said he follows me on Facebook and that's so fucking cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, BC Music, the guy from, I don't remember the name. I know he said it before. Uh, that's fucking cool. He's at Mesa. I will check the membership list after. But in the moment, it's yeah. hard to remember names. Yo, I'm terrible at remembering names. I'm pretty good with identities. I create like a persona or something and I can like remember it. Like it was your little fucking icon thing that really made you stand out. I'm not even going to lie. Um, that was the smartest <laughs> shit I think you ever did. It, it, <laughs> For sure. I don't know. I saw that. I fell in love with it. I said, okay, I'm going to use it. You know, damn, people, people fuck with it still. Oh, he says, I need to follow you. Not he did. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Respect. I, I, I misread <laughs> that. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, yeah, but we got you a new fan earlier too. And that made me so happy. You want to know what my proudest moment of all of this journey was? So this is guy CB Mac. And I interviewed CB Mac. And CB Mac and me is boys now. I put him on my album. My dude Ismail shows up and goes, he fucking murked you. And I'm like, okay, thanks, whatever. And then he like edited it to say your second verse was okay. And I'm like, <laughs> fair enough. It is what it is. I'll accept. I don't care if he likes my verse or not. I love Ismail because he's my patron now. He's like fucking real with me. That's why we, we cool. I respect his opinion. He respects mine. Um, CB Mac drops his project. Ismail cops it on Bandcamp. And I know 100% of the fact that I'm the reason that CB Mac and Ismail connected. And like mm. to be able to do that for somebody, it was the most like wow moment of everything that's happened recently. Cause fuck all the other shit. If you can somehow help another man get paid, holy mm. shit, that is an interesting level of wow, this is cooler than I ever thought. So when I see a motherfucker show up and be like, yo, I love fucking your like music, or like before earlier, this guy, uh, Audio Phil, I, I met him through fucking Preach and Kobe's DJ network. Yo, the DJ network on Twitch is litty. If you have nothing better to do, pop onto the dj network they're like 24 hours a day they're organized like squad i'm studying man i'm making notes so i'm trying to get rappers on twitch i'm like guys let's fucking copy the djs they're fucking crushing it oh i don't feel still here that guy's still hey. with us oh my gosh that's amazing so like all i'm saying is like that is the coolest part of this to me actually like the right i mean i also like learning because you know, i'm lazy as fuck so you're saving me from googling and i get inspired from this shit anyway I kind of got rambly again. This is what's going to keep happening. 
come back to what you're saying about the statuses and whatever it's i learned early on that you never know what people are gonna like that you could have the song that you just know like oh this is the best song i've ever made in life and people listen to it like meh or even like there's a, there's there'll be a line a specific line in your song where it's like yo this is the best two lines i've ever crafted my entire world is injecting these two lines and people will skip over it and they like the line where you go uh and i know because it, and it's like but that was just a filler bar to get to the next line but just because the way you said it or whatever that's what they so i realized okay people are going to connect with what they connect with you can't you know what i mean you can't determine you won't know in advance and even on a deeper level there'll be something that i'm trying to say and I'll, I'll say it with the best way that I can. And then people will tell me, yo, that bar that you have in that song where you said da da da, cause you were trying to say da da da. And I got this from it and whatever. And me in my head, I'm like, bro, that's not what I was saying at all. But I don't, I don't tell them, no, 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 that's not what I was saying. I was saying this and whatever, like, no, whatever you got from it, beautiful, run with it. That's that why like people's man. perception of me or whatever. I don't really care, bro. I'm out there. I'm talking to myself. However you perceive me, you think I'm an asshole. You think I'm a good guy. You think I'm this, I'm that. It's whatever to me. You're, different people are going to see me different ways. I, I'm just going to be me. You know what I mean? And It is. Yeah, the thing is, man, is it's not easy. You make it act like it's easy to be that. But I know for a fact it's not easy to be that. And you put, like, effort into maintaining that shit. And I just have to give you fucking respect for that. Because, you know, a lot of y'all make it like, yo, it's fucking simple to just brush everything off. It's not fucking simple to brush everything off. It's a fucking hard skill to, like, put that in. And if you can do it with ease, it's because you put that time and effort into, you know, learning that shit. You get destroyed enough times. (laughs) It, you know what I mean? Like, it starts just bouncing off of you. You know what I mean? Like, you build yourself up to be whoever you think you are in your head, and you get destroyed, broke down to nothing. You have to build yourself back up, and you build yourself back up enough times that it's just people can't break you down anymore. You know what I mean? Like, pro- uh, production-wise, the best thing that ever happened to me, I'll never forget, Rock Battle. I don't know if you know about Rock Battle. I do not know about Rock Battle. So Rock Battle uh, was a beat site where uh, producers would be able to battle each other Whoa. for beats. For, for, yeah, and you could even put up money. So you could put up, like, we each put up five bucks, and then we we post our beats, and then people come and vote, and whoever has the most votes gets the money. Or you can just battle it for free, and then they would have tournaments where you go up and whatever. So this was, like, this was me moving away from just keeping the beats because – I've never had somebody say something bad about my beats in person. You know what I mean? Like they're in the studio with me. I'm playing beats. If they don't like something, they probably just don't say anything or they just go, yeah, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then the ones that they like, they say, oh yeah, yeah, I really like that one. But I, but when I got onto the, to the rock battle and started posting my beats there, now it's the whole world. And these people have no connection to me. They don't care. They're going to give it to me real. And this guy destroyed me. And but he did it so precisely. He didn't say, yo, your beats are trash. He said, somebody, cause I posted my beat and I had like three, four comments of, yo, this is dope, this is fire, whatever. And then he came in, he said, you guys think this is dope? Oh, cause you get to rate the beats too. So when you go on, you, you get to you get to comment and you get to say this is an eight, this is 8.5 or whatever. Yo, that man came on, I'll never forget. And he was like, yo, people are saying this is an eight out of 10. He's like, bro. This is what's wrong with the sample. This is what's wrong with the drums. This is what's wrong with the mixing. This is what's wrong with the this. This is, you know, and he was spot on about every single thing. You don't and forget those every beats. single beat that I made after that, like, like my my production skill and level was like this, and then after that, like, 
it's like, I don't, I don't even like playing beats that I made before that because it was like, I didn't even know what I was doing until somebody destroyed me and I had to rebuild myself. And then my beats just a next level and there was no turning back after that. So I got a nice question because yo, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit stubborn. And so something you said earlier that really resonated with me was the idea of syllable stuffing and coming in complicated. Like I heard a couple of your older ones, at least one that's floating around where I felt like you were really into that young, aggressive shit. And the thing is, is it's like, yo, it's kind of like metal, right? People like metal because it's hard, not necessarily because it's the best. Now, I love mm. metal. Sometimes metal is exactly what I wanted to buy, but the shit I'm drawn to isn't necessarily the fastest or hardest to perform. It's the best composed shit that I'm most drawn to, right? And I feel like in a lot of ways, people look at the skill of rap and then at some point or another, you're like, I got to go fast, you know, faster, 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 faster. Right. And then I don't know, I, I, I did like rap God at like J uh, just for last. So like, I mean, what is there left to do? You can't go faster than rap God. Rap God exists. And then Eminem went faster and it didn't like make rap God less cool. It was just Godzilla's there. And it's like, okay, now that's, now that's there. I like, what are you supposed to do? Like fast is just like. When everybody can rap fast, it's not even cool no more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I I, uh, I slowed down, and then people heard what I had to say more, and that really seemed to work a lot better. And I feel like if you want to be heard, it's really interesting that you said that. You know. You have to, you have to, because that's that's what it oh. is. Me, I'm trying, I'm trying to talk to the people. You know what I mean? So, so it's that, like, so yeah, that go goes ahead. back to like an accessibility thing. Sorry, my points mm. might get convoluted, but it's accessibility is the right word for it. If you were to like talk about this from like a software perspective, right? Like how to make the user experience prima optimal. So I think as an artist, my main goal, and I think your main goal is very similar, is to share a message of some kind or another with each individual thingy. And um, if you want people to listen to that message, you know what you don't do? You don't make a three and a half minute verse in 2020. Facts. I did that. Nobody heard it. You want to know it's a smart idea, apparently? Talk about making a pussy spray and then add in health goals. And people will bump <laughs> that shit. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> the most repetitive. Like, in my opinion, it was like the most dumb shit. Like, in, you know, like you said, the throw it. And then so many people have stopped and said, did he just say that? I'm like, is that not a thing people say? Do people not like mention that shit? You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, for sure. The shock value, there's a bunch of different ways to get people's attention. But the point is you might only get people's attention for 30 seconds. So mm -hmm. you got to make those 30 seconds count. And if you try to say 300 things in those 30 seconds, you're going to have event essentially said nothing because they're not going to get anything. And so if I only have you for 30 seconds and I have four bars, I have to make those four bars count. You know what I mean? I want to be able to get my message across in those four bars. And so that's what I did. And I tell people, I preach it to anybody willing to listen when they come here. Cause obviously I still work with a bunch of different artists and I tell them, bro, first of all, like one verse songs is what it's about right now. And if you want to do two verses, cool. But if you're doing three verses, you're wasting your time and effort. I'm like, your number one fan is not even going to hear that third verse. Take that third verse and put it on another song. You know what I mean? Like, why? It's like you're wasting your efforts. Work smart, not hard. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's got to be about that. And it's so like, that's the thing. Is it, it took a lot of time for me to, like, humble myself out. So my next project's going to have three, like, tracks, verses, because I have a vision, and fuck that shit, it's art. And I want, I, you know, three verses might come back one day, dog. You know, it's not saying no, it's never, over forever. 
It's over for now. I get that. I understand that. I'm not even trying to make sure people bump it, but currently my biggest track has three verses, and somehow it's an anomaly, so fucking whatever. I'm going to keep it yeah, real with it. But in, to your point, where I had to humble myself out and where I wanted to go with it a little bit before was the number of tracks on our project. So you have five, and then you cut it to three. So what I saw what was interesting is I put it a 10-track project, and at song five, everybody stopped. Everybody was gone. And I was like, holy shit, Merker put out five. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I doing? And then I realized what Strange Music's been doing since like 2018, right? And then even Kanye back then, right? Kanye was like, fuck that, I see the future, seven track albums. And everybody made fun of him for it, remember? And now everybody's dropping even smaller projects now. It's like, wow. You know, like when you really look at those connections in hindsight and... um. I don't know about the, like the so what I see it is you can still release a full album if you do it in three tracks at a time. There and you go. There you go. The Make last two and three, probably. What you know what I mean? Like who cares? And then spoon it, it to them. Make sure they swallow their first spoon before giving them another spoon. Otherwise, you're just throwing food at their face. Shut up, space. Thanks for the bits. Um, but yo, that that's kind of how I look at it. And then I'm like, you know what? You do for the last one. You put out the full album, so it's at the top of your Spotify. And but everybody knows all the songs now. I can tell you, yo, everybody made fun of Joiner Lucas, but maybe he was actually smarter than all of us with that ADHD release, yo. Everybody made fun of him, but everybody actually heard most of that album. And then when he went to listen to it, it was only like four or five tracks left to hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yo, in hindsight, and I never had to stop before, but maybe he was really fucking smart to release that album the way that he did. I realized it from a long time ago when uh, um, Damian Marley dropped uh, Jam Rock. Shit has like 22 songs on it or something. I love that album. I love the songs on it. I used to bump it in the whip all the time. So, you know, you listen through the whole thing and then you have like your three, four tracks that are like your go-tos that you, that you pull up that you know bump and whatever. And it would be like three months later, four months later, and I'm still discovering songs on the album. Like, oh shit, track 17 is actually fire. I never even realized. Mm. And that's when I realized that how much songs people that like get released and just, you know, it's like you're wasting music almost. You know what I mean? Like people come to me, they say, yo, I'm putting out a 12 song album. I said, I said, bro, you have 12 songs. You put your heart and soul into those 12 songs put out three four track albums it's going to play into different situations not only are more people going to be able to listen to everything but now instead of dropping in january your 12 song album that you just spent the last two years recording and then because you're going to drop that in january and in february people are going to ask you oh you're still rapping because that's how fast things are moving right now so Instead of like, and, and then telling them, yeah, yeah, you're working on your next one, you're working on your next one, and then your next one comes out a year and a half later, bro, you're, whatever momentum you built off of your first thing is done, dead. You're, you're, you're like basically starting from scratch all over again. If you have those 12 songs, drop four songs in January as a project. And then at the end of February, drop another four songs. But now you have two months to start making new songs. And then at the end of March or April, two months later, you drop the next four songs. So now the people that are following you are like, yo, this guy's going in and he's consistent. And you've you fed them slowly. And now you had time to work on your next four songs so that in when June hits now, you're putting out new, four new songs. 
and it just looks like you're just constantly releasing music instead of this like oh all of a sudden there's an album and then you don't hear nothing for a year and a half and then oh there's an album you know like no 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 that's work. a big facts thing i don't even think people see the other side of that so um i've never been that consistent with music but i've been really fucking consistent with behind that suit since the jump uh the only times we ever took like actual time off was like almost three and a half years deep and the time i had a concussion so that was oh, fair to that's fine i fell off a bike I, I, oh, yeah. let me tell you something if you're pushing 300 pounds don't try and do bike tricks it's just like, it is what it is, dog. Um, and now I'm afraid of bike tricks because uh, I had to cut my hair and I was really mad. That was the worst part, dude. It fucking like all my hair pulled out and now I had hair like that and I had to like fucking cut my hair because like what the fuck are you going to do, right? You're fucking sitting. Anyway, you know what it is. Um, no, it's cool, dude. I never had a concussion. It was kind of like cool. It was like not like cool, cool, but like it was cool. Like, I'm sorry, but like. It was like, I mean, I'm like 32 and I never had a concussion. It's like, you know, everyone had a concussion. I know it's like fucking dumb, but like sometimes you want to have relatable experiences so you can understand like when a guy gets a concussion on TV, what the fuck that really means. Okay. I'm just, yeah. that's kind of what it is. I never had a concussion. See, I'm jealous. I don't want to have a concussion. No one hasn't had a concussion. But, um, <laughs> nah, it's it's better, dude. It fucking sucks. It really does. Like I was actually like, I, it was about two weeks before I could think proper. Yeah, no, like it was, it was slow. It was really like, it was weird. I didn't like it. I don't like things like that. That's why I don't like alcohol because it slows me down and I talk too much and I don't think right. Yo, shout out for the bits, uh, spades. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I got distracted again, but yeah, back to the regularity. So you know what people did notice about me is I've been sharing behind that suit videos for four fucking years consistently. Multiple videos sometimes, sometimes way too many videos. I don't give a fuck. But when I show up, it's like people are like, yo, okay. Man's is like, at least you know that I do this. Even yeah. if you don't watch, nobody watches them, dude. Dude, nobody watches my shit until this. This is the first thing I've ever done that people are like really, that I know at least are tuning in to watch. Like I've never had like the Montreal people like show up and shit. I'm like, whoa, that's fucking interesting. But yo, it, it may have taken years, but like it was just such a huge thing. But part of it, I think, is the consistency. I think like, yo, they start, I'm off work and I, this has been like bang, 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 bang this week for interviews, right? That's trying to build a momentum and shit. I can't maintain it, but <laughs> then we're going to have Mondays and Wednesdays from Montreal and shit. And then uh, Saturdays, New York. And then that's going to be it for the rest of the like until whenever, you know? Perfect. Cause it, Cause it can't be too much either. You have to find that rhythm that has people being able to follow along. You know what I mean? Cause me, I'm a fan of yours, but realistically, I don't have three hours you to never give can. you a but I that's why we're to. cutting up clips, right? Because, yeah, yo, we're, YouTube, we're nowhere near the point where the clip machine is where it needs to be because the machine is new and it's not well oiled yet. But the idea would be, like, down the line, um, we would love to fucking have, like, you know, five clips out of this fucking interview because the truth is none of y'all will have it because, yo, people will watch a 15-minute video. Some people will tune into the live and that's the culture I'm trying to build here because I'm trying to make this a fun time for whatever. But the truth is you'll have the option of the full video down the line and you'll have the clips to, and it's kind of adapting. So in the same way, like if I'm going to release my next project, yo, all of my singles did all right, dude. They didn't do like amazing, but they did all right. The number of listeners hit like 50 multiple times. And I'm like, wow, that's never really happened before. Put out the album. Nobody fucking want to hear it. I'm like, wow, it's that sucks ass. 
it's a singles market now anyways that's why when i go to when i talk about short projects or whatever like it's not even really about projects right now at all it's it's single songs because you can you you're not asking people to buy your cd anymore right you're not walking up to people and saying yo i put the cd together it's 45 songs triple album three booklets whatever give me 10 bucks you know like people would be like oh this guy really went in and give you the 10 bucks but you're not asking them for 10 bucks anymore you're asking them for their time and Big that's facts. even way more valuable and you know what if you build up a rapport with people online you might be able to tell them yo check out this song and they might give you a minute and a half or two and a half minutes there's artists i genuinely fuck with that i like that i've heard some of their stuff and i'm like oh i'm really intrigued and they put out a project and i'm like okay well i gotta sit down and listen to this project properly i don't want to bump it while i'm doing something else and i miss you know what i mean i don't catch what they're doing i want to be able to sit down and listen to it and it's six months ago and I still haven't sat down and listened to it. And not because it's a 20 track project, but just because it's like 15, 20 minutes long. I, I have a hard time finding 15, 20 minutes nah, for myself. Dude, and I'm they- not even lying to you. Do you want to know part of why I don't want to do these album reviews? Because you'll check it. I want to listen to the album. If I'm going to talk about an album, I've changed it up. But the way it used to be because it was too time consuming, but it was I would listen to the album four times in a row. Dude, when I saw some shit that said an hour and 20, it's like, yo, that's six hours. And the whole I, day. And so I did like 500 of these sheets. Like I'm not even playing. A lot of time was spent sitting there. Your civilization and album reviews was a great combination. I'm never going to lie. Um, so that made it a little bit more fun. But dude, I had to start playing video games because it was like, bro, you're just sitting there listening to it again and again. So I changed shit up. Now I'm doing it a little different. But part of what got your album reviewed is because I actually was able to fit the entire recording and editing process into my lunch break. I did flip it up to like a first like one listen kind of thing. Don't do that with Eminem. Do not do that with Eminem. Big fuck. It is my most disliked video I've ever made was my trying to talk about Eminem with one listens. I was just reacting and it was stupid and they didn't like it. It was a big mistake. Everyone else, it's fair game because everyone else is like cool with it for some reason. There's a few of them don't do it with. But your shit, I guess, was fine. So I listened to it. I felt it. And I was like, ah, this resonates with me. You know, here's what it is. If you're favorable, people like your shit. That's the, here's the truth about the review game, everyone. The only people clicking on a review are fans of any album. It's the only people that are ever clicking on it. You know, discover sorry, review. You have about 48 hours where objective people will click on it. Anybody clicking on your review that's going to stay on the internet forever beyond that is a fucking super fan. Okay, and if they're clicking on your shit with 500 or less views, they're a hardcore super fan looking for niche opinions outside the realms of what everyone else is saying. And then if you're shitting on their favorite album that saved them from fucking this, that, the next thing, they're going to murk you in the comments and you're going to wake up sometimes. I got one actually during this interview. Blah, 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 blah. And it popped up on my phone or whatever. I saw it somewhere and I'm like, oh, fuck this. Shut the fuck up, dude. You know, I was like, fine, fine. 2017 me was an asshole. You kind of learn from that shit. (laughs) But then like at the same time, it's like, okay, that's fair. I'm going to make the content then that people are not going to like. I don't know. It's a weird question, right? But about that to say the fact that I could fit it into three tracks and I could do it in like my lunch break meant it got done. You come at me with your 13 track project. That's a lot of time, you know? And it's not that I don't dislike any of you, but, like, maybe people will click on a fucking Eminem review. You're asking me to make a 45 to an hour and a half fucking minute video on your content, and you think they're going to click on that and watch it if we're not talking? 
just this is the best way we can get you some buzz dog that's my opinion with everybody out there based on numbers and facts and shit but you you actually just did that shit with three tracks though that is the only way i think i can squeeze some shit in here and there it made it possible so even on that attention tip i totally fucking get it from the reviewer point of view it's like yo actually these smaller albums are kind of, we actually got to a point where we started going yo these 10 tracks are better than the 16 tracks and i'm not gonna lie as time went on our desire to review fucking bigger projects kind of faded a bit like it's like it's so much fucking time you know you want to play but you want to chill at the end of the day a little bit you know well, people tell me i'm putting out a double album i said well, what are you doing stop wasting your time and your music you know what i mean like i mean unless whatever your passion is you want to do a double album you want to do that like you know all eyes on me is your favorite project ever you want to have a double album go ahead do your thing but i did like this marketing wise and everything else wise other than just your own personal reasons it makes no sense to do that if you're trying to get fans if you're trying to build a buzz and you're trying to do whatever that's just not the way right now it's just not maybe it will be the way again like you said three verse try three verse songs might be a thing again one day because even me now honestly listening back to oceans deep ocean views i should say sorry i I'm like, fuck, I kind of wish I did more, <laughs> more verses on some of the tracks, you know, or maybe even a four so, track or, but it's, it's okay though. It is what it is, you know? But if we want to expand the hip hop, the marketing conversation. So as much as I agree with everything you're saying, I think it's about pop and algorithms is everything you're saying. There are other ways to play the game and Griselda records would be a big fax on, on another way to play the game. They're not fucking releasing short projects. They're not long. But they're also not that short. They're like 37 minutes, you know, like here and there. And and they're doing a lot of them. And they all sound the same. So, and that's what's interesting, right? Like, here's the thing. Like, I love every Griselda project I've heard. But if you were to actually ask me to name five Griselda Records tracks, I'd be like, I don't know any of them. I know the albums. <laughs> and I listen to them fucking back to back. And I love every second of it. But that's it. They're constantly feeding me new. But I realized something changed that a lot of people aren't noticing, paying attention to, and are probably not exploiting. And that's Spotify fucked up the whole market in ways that people didn't necessarily notice. And that's that prior to the current era, old people weren't buying music or consuming music, really. When I say old people, I mean you look at the trends, man. There's this idea that past the age of 25, you're set in stone, you're not consuming new music, and this is the canon in the history. But now I'm watching, like, people that are like let's say 50 year old mom types at work bumping future and i'm mm. like how did this happen spotify this spotify that and i realized yo my dude is at work he's 48 years old maybe older no i think he might even be in his 50s now. anyway he's an old jewish guy right and he's well off and all this other shit and like he's like bro spotify keeps suggesting me all these things and he started sending me some of these crazy like deep cuts of hip-hop and shit that are like yo you know this came out this year yeah man spotify recommended dog because it's actually <laughs> like creating this niche market that when you said like the world is not going to have the millionaires it's going to be the niche it's because the algorithms is kind of creating this place where people are kind of slowly and creeping in and discovering what they actually like on their own right and that mm -hmm. means that like yo there is going to be a market for big shit because yo okay reno this guy from Houston dropped four projects, 46 tracks, 2018 early, and his fan base ate that shit up. He's eaten off his fans. Is he mm. famous? Do you know who he is? That doesn't matter. I know he's eaten off his fans, and he's making big-ass projects, and they fucking memorize his lyrics. So I'm like, okay, is that everybody? No. 
but there's definitely markets for everything if you understand how to find them, connect with them, and play the respective games properly. Because there is a bunch of 40-year-olds willing to listen to new music in a way that never really existed beyond the radio before. For sure, for sure. And yeah, I, it's accessibility now. You have the accessibility is there and it opens up everything. Even even for like the younger generation to have, because like, you know, when we were 15, 20, whatever, it's if you didn't have the physical copy of the CD or you didn't happen to hear it on the radio randomly, you didn't have access to it. If your parents didn't have these old records in, in the house, you didn't have access to it. But now I talk to, to 12 year olds, 13 year olds that are like, Tupac is my favorite rapper. And it's like, because they can open up the internet and listen to the whole Tupac discography and decide that and identify with it and say, boom, it's accessibility. So now it's open things up. It's not like you're saying, it's not that all oh, the music you listen to in college and then that's it. That's all you're listening to for the rest of your life because it's, it's, it's all around you and it's accessible. So if you're willing to look, it's there. So I think a lot of people look at Billboard a lot. And Billboard changed. Billboard used to be a reflection of the streets because what sold was what was hot. And mm. that used now billboards like a game, right? Like they literally like play games as celebrities to try to rig it. Part of the six nine shit was like trying to expose how corrupt billboard was. And like, I follow all this billboard news and Justin Bieber had a scandal earlier in the year where his official account circulated how to mark the fucking Spotify algorithm and told his fans everything they needed to do to like get there because it's all about playing billboard. So when you look at billboard, it's really labels throwing money at effective ways to get shit to chart. It stopped being about taste. So when we all talk about this shit, we all talk about album sales. What we're really talking about, in my opinion, I could be very wrong about this. This is a holding theory, okay? I just want to put that out there. I think people look at billboard like it is what it was when instead it's just rich people playing rich people games and the real shit is like go look at monthly followers on spotify dog how many people have six figure monthly follower accounts that are just loyal and fucking bumping their shit there's eight billion motherfuckers on this earth dude like i'm like yo what i need a hundred maybe a thousand paying clients down the line to support me and a few people like yo i'm going do what the fuck you want a little bit but manage your expectations i made that album knowing no one was going to listen to it i didn't make that album thinking it was going to be hot shit i actually made it so i could prove i could rap slow to people because people didn't believe and then everyone's like you're not rapping fast go and i'm like shut the fuck up you know i'm gonna do what i want to do with it you know, me, I learned in life, you know, it's, it's a, really about not having expectations, man. The most magical moments I've ever had are just when I went into a situation with zero expectations. Because then whatever happens is perfect. You know what I mean? But if you have an expectation, it's never going to be what you expect. So you're always going to be disappointed. You know what I mean? Like, you come into it with just open to whatever possibilities will be. And then you just let the magic happen. And it's beautiful. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, it also depends on what you want. Like, look, if you want to get rich, everything you're saying is true. Like, I'm saying if you want to get rich off of selling music. Personally, I don't want to get rich off. I actually want to get rich off of this. 
This sounds like a cool way to get rich, actually, because I don't mind selling out how I interview a little bit. I'd be fucking glad to throw a fucking sponsor here if I could. I'd be like, shut the fuck up, Merker. Let us have a spot. They're paying me. You know, like, I dream about those days now. But when it comes to my music, it's always been just I, I, I do this so I can pay for that, right? That's how I look at shit. And I know some people want to get that music for free, this, that, the next. No, I actually make all the money. So I can make music nobody's probably going to maybe want to listen to, except for that like one or two song that had done that like resonated here and there. And that to me is like, yo, that's right. Natasha Marie is January 22nd. Um, I know that KB Turkuli Aloni. Hey, he's been like sure. boom, booming up in here a few times. He's uh, Friday at 8 p.m. So just Merker connected that one too, right? So Merker is a huge part of like connecting people in my fucking life. Yo, he's so fucking gifted. 27 ridiculous yeah man i'm excited dude like, but that's the thing is like i'm excited for all the opportunities that just your, your your facebook is like a lit place to like network if motherfuckers is really paying attention for real like it's crazy how that actually works out with these times um but yo what what, what goes on between like 2000 and let's say 8 and 2000 and like 15 so 2008 2015 my son was born in 2008 so Real life happens. <laughs> Real Tech life Luciano's happens. cool too, by the way. He's in the chats. Oh, I Tech forgot. Man, you know, I got to work with so many gifted artists along the way. Tech Luciano's super underrated. This guy is so dope. Uh, mm. Stack, Stack Dough, super underrated. And then these guys are there's so many gifted artists in the city. It's ridiculous, honestly. Yo, the Tech Luciano interview. It was like a virtue signal to OGs that I was like cool to fuck with. It was, it was fucking like, amazing. Like he was like the first guy of like that era to really do it, and then yeah. everyone else just saw memory lane going down. And like I'm on fucking board. <laughs> so you were because you know, okay, so we were at 2012. You were doing your golden era mixing of those boys. That's what I call golden era. Is that 2008 to 12 period? Because it seemed like because that's when I came into it and shit was like lit and even shitty. Like the shows I was performing at had like 80, 90 people in the tiny bars, right? What's so dope about that, that time is because if, if I look at the beginning of when I started releasing music in Montreal, it was there was a bunch of people doing it, but everybody was just doing their thing in their own little corner and nobody was really fucking with each other. And uh, but then that time that you're talking about, that's when artists started acknowledging each other and collabing on tracks and trying to whatever. There wasn't any real, real fan base out yet, so they weren't really doing it for anybody. but that unity in the scene was important because for there to be fans, there has to be something for them to be a fan of. It was like creating that, you know what I mean? Creating like the, the Montreal industry or whatever you want to call it to where we can say, this is the best rapper or this is the, the street rapper. And this is the club guy. And this is the, you know what I mean? Like all those positions have to be established and that that's what that was. And I was, I was super blessed and, super blessed to be a part of that in, in any way i was recording people and whatever i'm you know i mean i might not have been an artist i wasn't really doing the artist thing too tough at that time but uh, uh it was just a blessing to be a part of it in any any format i, I remember you know those times 2010 i remember i'd be in uh, in the car listening to k103 dance move and i would be able to hear three songs back to back that were all recorded at my studio like one or two of them i produce or even like hear two three songs back to back that i produce all three of them was just like so you know what's crazy back then i probably heard your production and had no idea you existed yeah yeah, i know that like for a quick because i was living on elmhurst 
so for a quick mm-hmm. minute, I geeked on fucking iBlast, realizing like he was there and like, wow, like, yo, my block that I'm living on when I started rapping for real reels is actually significant to shit. That's fucking cool, right? So like the back, so when I first CD, I made an album cover with the back cover that never came to life. It's just in a picture on Facebook, but I actually took a picture of the fucking corner of Elmhurst and Trenholm. And I zoomed in, and that's the fuck on the back of my album cover, because that's where that shit got made. You know what it is? And uh, so, like, yeah, so I was peeping all this shit, all the videos from that era. I watched all of that stuff. I was following the Magnum guy. Um, I thought that's when I discovered who Dirt Work was. I met a couple of these people in person back then, but they were kind of like big league, and I'm like little, little guy coming into the game at that point. I remember Magnum from Magnum was the first rapper in Montreal that I heard that I was like, Oh damn, this guy can actually rap. And it's not like, and until then, anybody that I heard that could technically rap, they were just emulating other people. It wasn't their own thing, but Magnum was dope is dope. Not to take anything away from him. This guy's still fire, super underrated, if anything, because he's one of the best in the city, hands down. Mm. And, uh, but this guy is just sick sick and he's i heard him and i was like oh fuck there's other there's artists in the city that can actually make proper music this is like there was a chance and this is like a little you know, like open mic shows or whatever this is like i'm talking about this is i don't know how long this is uh yeah 2005 2006 somewhere around there you know what i mean i was just like yeah this is dope and then that's when everything started coming together and and the music just got better and all right so you lived through the golden era and let's say with all the pieces in place that we're all trying to create because yo i'm not the only one doing this which is an incredible mm. thing for me to say there's like 514 online mix i see cy's trying to get up in this world and doing his thing misery wants to do his thing and yo people like might think you know you get jealous about this but yo i watched this facebook live from facebook about lives which is a weird thing to say, but it is what it is. But they were talking about community managing and how communities work. And the truth is, is um, the way the Facebook game works without spending hella money is to go my my contest group as an example. I'll give you. I have a contest group running, and it's not to promote my contest. It's, uh, there's also Smoking Ink, the Sean Couvret guy, whatever. He has a contest. So now our contests are friends. So I'm sponsoring his shit. He's sponsoring my shit. And then if the next contest comes in, we link up. And what we're actually doing is leveraging our respective networks to create a global network effect and creating like a momentum of shit. So through little grinds like this that are happening, we're able to start recreating um, Sean of Smoking Inc. Yeah, Natasha Marie said that. Sorry, sometimes the comments are popping up and it just, it's a lot of my eye clashing. Over. It's, a, it's a compliment I can't though. For shit, bro. So the fact that you're even able to pull it off with little blanks is... It's a lot of effort. I'm learning how to live better, but fuck it. People like the vibe. I'm okay with that. You know, the fact that we're still at 12 people and we're like talking, talking for so many hours, dude, is so fucking cool to me. It just blesses my heart. It makes me want to keep grinding. You know what it is? Like, it's fun. Like if nobody's there, those are the ones that are like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Like it's just not. All the right, same. let's wrap this up. <laughs> no, I mean I'm gonna do it, right? Because you know that you're yeah. gonna get the content after. But really, you know, like you said, man, it's the people that don't want to like talk, right? Like, like I don't know pulling teeth. Like, bro, I'm giving you a platform and speak your piece. I think maybe some people just don't have anything to say. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's possible, or maybe they don't know how to talk to me. 
I mean, you've talked to me beforehand. You're aware a little bit of my style. But even then, I think it's still like, yo, I'm talking to people I've never talked to in my life. I've never met in my whole fucking life. And they just got a bunch of opinions and shit. And they just believe in shit. And they're spitting shit. But the problem is, is then I also met another calm person. And in eight words, they're using brevity. And they're actually dropping, like, profound wisdom. So they say, like, eight things. And I unpack it into, like, a three-minute thing. But when you mm. watch it after I talked 80% of the fucking time, because there is. <laughs> yeah, no, you see, okay, you stop it and you're like, and then you break down what they say. Yo, but that's one of the dopest things about you is the way that you're able to you identify these things, even in, in the music. Like if, from you doing even just my album review, I hear you like break down my own shit and it's like, and you get it. Like, bro, there's no feeling like it because nah, I'm man. trying to communicate to with you. Fair, so to like... know that you received it, it's like, I love that and you you're, you have this I think it's a gift of being able to connect with people being able to connect with the music well, I don't know what it's called it's not but like it's, but it's hit or miss right because yo sometimes I strike the fuck out and it's just awful yeah. or like I'm in a bad mood and I'm feeling away or like so, it's, but your music in particular check it what's the life like corporate grind making side hustle grow trying to make a million dollars cleaning legit I mean I could write your songs from a content perspective like mm. I wrote an album about the alternative grind. It's about corporate America and shit. It's about being an office worker and how it's a fucking grind. And I use a lot of hip hop words to correlate these things together as ideas. Most people wouldn't probably feel it. Whereas I feel like if you heard that product, you don't have to. It's long. I get it. You don't have to bump that shit. But like, <laughs> I'm not. But like, if you heard it, you might be like, bro. You might even catch things other people wouldn't catch because they don't. You know, like it is what it is. But when I heard your album, I'm like. Yo, poor Merker. I'm his target audience. Poor Merker. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's man. good because, yo, here's the thing. I say that as a joke because you're definitely far from mainstream. But you're going to have such a powerful niche following that you're going to eat forever. You're good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I learned that from living in the Bay Area, man, because in the Bay Area, the hustle is so real and they're about that in independent grind. And the thing is that Mm. they don't play they don't play the industry game because the industry game is very hit or miss and it's like because everybody's on board and they love you one second and they hate you the next but in the bay area i've seen artists become millionaires off of just selling cds out the trunk to their fan base because what's dope about the bay area is that there's like three or four cities all within like hop skip and a step away from each other like imagine if vancouver ottawa toronto and montreal were all like you know a 45 minute drive away from each other because you have san francisco you have san jose you have oakland you have you know what i mean a little bit further out you have sacramento you have you have all these cities where it's like these markets where you can just literally get in your car and drive for 30 minutes and then you have a whole other market a full big city market where here you'd have to drive like at least two hours or hour and a half, whatever to Ottawa. You know what I mean? If Toronto six hours, it's more spread out. So there it's concentrated. The population is popping. You have such a big market. And so if you can have 10,000 fans that you can sell a $10 CD to directly, you'll make that same hundred thousand dollars that we were talking about. You make it every time you drop an album. These yeah. people are dropping four albums a year, five albums a year. They're making half a million dollars a year if with with a ten thousand people fan base. I really, if you have 
So, yo, I actually bumped an E40 album a lot of my album review quest. The problem with E40 is they're all about basically the same track on repeat. Not to disrespect him. E40 is one of those guys that literally never has to change. He could literally yeah. just read phone book shit and it's like, I'm going to read the phone book like this. And he's like, fuck it up, man. Just keep talking, E40. But, yo, he spits mad game. It's mad game. All it is is mad game. It's just, I don't know how many times I can listen to E-40 tell me how to make money in a row before I'm like, okay, E-40, I got it. I can't do reviews on this. I can just enjoy your music. You know what I'm saying? Too Short will tell you fuck bitches for fucking 15 songs every single time. You can take a verse from his first album and couple it with a verse from his latest album and you you won't bat an eye. You're not going to say, oh, he sounds different or whatever. Mm. He does his shit, but this is that Bay Area shit, man. I'm telling you, they're genius. No, I love it. And I'm not even disrespecting it. I'm saying, like, as a reviewer, it's like, whatever. But, yo, don't even get me wrong. It's kind of like in that same Griselda tactic. You keep dropping consistently the fire, right? And Mm -hmm. you just don't expect anybody to really go back. You just keep making it new. And you keep making it fresh. And you keep making it hot. And with that, you're able to keep, and that's a whole different grind, but you also don't necessarily, and you know what, within that, you're going to get classics just on a law of average shit. For sure. For sure. And what you were talking about, about the, the groups, um, you know, the, the, uh, the contest groups and like linking together and, and sharing networks and whatever, right. They kill that shit out there. The collab albums. Right, they've been doing that forever in the Bay. And because mm. if you have your 20,000 fans and I have my 20,000 fans, well, now instead of making 100 grand, we're making 300 grand. You know what I mean? On the album, and we're splitting it same way. But now some of your fans became mine, mine became yours. So when we do our next solo shit, instead of making 100 grand, we're making 200 grand a piece now. And, we, and, and they do joint albums. And it's just, it's a different world. It's a whole world in itself. And then as soon as you step out of the Bay Area, nobody knows about these things. Nobody knows about JT, the bigger figure. Nobody knows about RBL Posse. Nobody knows about- I know about RBL Posse. They're fucking fire. Holy shit. <laughs> we did them from an album review and shit. Oh my gosh, man. There are tracks that they have that to this fucking day I'll still play. Like, I don't know. This one song, I can't remember what it's called, but it comes on and it's like got this weird like boom, 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 boom kind of beat. And they just start coming through with this swagger that you just can't. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are fire don't give me no bammer we we don't smoke that shit in the sfc that don't is give an me amazing no. song dude i don't it's such so a good dope. track yeah, yeah for sure too dope and then all these a lot of these uh samples that you hear puffy use and whatever that that went three four times platinum with, with biggie and whatever you know, man's in the bay area sampled them from time from time they sampled them and it's just you know it never went as big as whatever but they sold it to their to their fan base there no record label didn't eat off of them they went straight to their pocket and they just built their shit and it's just rapping forte and these guys are just you know it's too dope man it's too dope and that's but it's kind of like what the future of this shit's gonna be like this is where like i'm looking like yo let's just talk about the reality of live shows it's 2021 and montreal is locked down until february Every time Mm. that it gets locked down, a lot more places are likely approaching bankruptcy in terms of venues and things like that. So the longer this goes on, the less things like people. I know there's this weird thing. I talk to people and they're like, yo, live is going to come back and it's going to be immediate. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. How all the bars closed the bar that was going to. So I was going to do a show. You think that bar is still around? No, it died. All the Sala Rosa died. They all like classics. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. I, okay, I might be wrong. Don't quote me on it. It's uh, what I remember now. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, but like we're talking that. bars like that, like like established shits are dying. So yeah, maybe they open up again, but when? 
And then yeah. are we able to get these places? Are we able to even afford these places now? Like, you're who's throwing the shows? You're going to need a vaccine passport to, to get a crowd up in there. So forget them. <laughs> so, like, anyway, I don't so know. I'm yeah. looking at it like, on the other hand, why don't we just do this on Twitch? <laughs> yo, go yeah. subscribe. You can get tips. <laughs> like, it's like, yo, what are we right. doing? I was actually talking to the wife about this just the other day with uh, with um, networks dropping their, their streaming platforms. Right. Cable is going to be done just now because, like, if CBS can make an app and then sell you their content directly to you for $5 a month, like that $200 you're paying Bell, they're not seeing a $5 from that, from their, their CBS channel being there. But if they can market directly their content to your phone, to your television, through an app, through a streaming service, you're giving them five bucks and they're collecting that entire five bucks. You've cut out the middleman. Videotron, Bell, these things are going to die cable-wise, you know, obviously you know, cable, still be... cable as a market, it's not going to die yet because old people Dude, they still make yeah, Coronation no, Street Eventually, is uh, the more and more yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. every time, every time now you watch TV, uh, they're a show, Bob and Abishola coming on tonight Watch it at 7 o'clock or stream anytime, or stream anytime or stream anytime, they're shoving it down your throat because they want you on their site watching their shit, they don't that's want you facts. And the truth there. is, um with the binge economy, how it's going to end up working is everybody's just going to like fucking pop over this way, that way and go to different shits. Like they know that nobody's going to be loyal. And I think that people think people are going to be loyal. But yo, let's be real. Netflix got rid of hell on wheels and I'm not done hell on wheels, but it's gone Ooh. off of Netflix. So now what am I supposed to do? So I put on Sons of Anarchy and I'm sitting there going, why do people love this show as much as it do? I don't fully get it. It's a soap opera. It's like power. It's a soap opera. Like, it's it's got a vibe, but, like, there is nothing original in Sons of Anarchy. It's just bikers. Is it enjoyable? Yeah. If that's your thing, go for it. It's a great show. I mean, there's that, like, power lady and shit in season one. But I'm like, this isn't hell on wheels. That was that had Common in it. And Common is a fun guy. To, like, he carries scenes and shit, you know? Anyway. So, But then it's like... So it's like, do I then go to the next place to keep watching this? Do I steal it? Like, what am I supposed to do with this shit? Like, fuck Netflix, you know? And then, like, Netflix has got kind of trash. Where's my loyalty there? We just got Disney that... Plus, yo. Are we going to stay with Netflix? Hmm? What? I said, it's, it's that, what have you done for me lately? You know what I mean? You got my 10 bucks last month, and I enjoyed it. Bro, if I can't find nothing to watch this month, it's uh, one button to cancel, and I can give my 10 bucks to somebody else and get some fresh shit I haven't seen before. Sure big facts. So in, it, to that complements what you're saying, right? Because I think all the big networks know that that can happen too. And I'm pretty sure when you unlock CBS for a month, at least you get access to all this canonical backlog shit from like, you can probably watch, yo, do you know how people, you know what, you, you know how they're going to get old people? You can watch the news from back in the day for $7.99 a month. <laughs> and then you get motherfuckers to come back through and watch the news. And like, just be like, you know, I, I think what, what's keeping cable alive too is sports. Mm. Once sports off of it, like once you have a streaming platform for sports, I'm not afraid, but I mean, these are big, like billion dollar contracts that they have with networks and whatever. So it's going to, it's, it's going to be a tough switch over, but once the sports switches over, then it's going to be like what you said, the only thing is going to be news. And then even the mm. news, once you can start. But yo, those the networks, they... So there's one thing, a caveat there, those networks are going to crush in VR. So maybe they carry over to VR, right? It's a transitionary phase, but let's like talk about the future even further, right? There's spaces. So 
this clubhouse right that has like spaces of audio shit and whatever so you can talk on there and that's a spaces type environment then there's vr chats in the virtual reality so spaces are where they have private rooms and it's little enclosed environments and these motherfuckers kind of grow and you collect shit in little enclosed areas so facebook's currently working on horizon which is their big fucking vr move and if you think about it like in a sense even twitch channels are kind of little spaces and everything about the future of this shit is going to be spaces and now they're going to get the shit out of it you know i'm getting fucking like notifications from facebook for my work shit saying you guys can do paid events now ding 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 and they got <laughs> partnerships with everybody so the way i see it is down the line it's all going to be private spaces so cbs is going to have a sporting event let's say and they're going to have a private contract with whoever or whatever i don't know who the fuck they're partnered with and you're going to have to spend a hundred dollars to get that vr experience there you can watch it on fucking tv but that vr experience will have you in the middle of the fucking like the game or whatever shit yeah, it'll be like already doing it with with with, uh like the season pass shit so basically with the nfl you can go you can give them your 250 bucks or 300 bucks or whatever for the season you get every single game you can watch whatever game you want when you're watching the game you can choose the camera angle that you're watching the game Mm. from so it's like you're you get to you know what i mean you dictate your experience now it's not just okay watching and you don't have to watch commercial it's like oh it's next level shit I got to try some sports shit. I got a VR. I haven't actually one time even tried to go to a sport. I'm not really a sports person, but I want to have the experience of like, you know, seeing what this actually feels like. But yeah, even Eminem was on that tip early to give Eminem some credit in terms of using tech. There was an interview he did like in 2019 or 18, where it was like in a limo and they put a 360 camera in the limo and it had like a VR immersive experience. And I thought that was nifty because I haven't, I'm not saying he's the first, but I didn't encounter anybody doing that. And I was super getting into my VR's the future phase before like people fucking cared about it at all. Do you don't want to be an early adopter to tech? I can tell you something. You do not want to be an early adopter. It's like maybe you do. Maybe if you're at love exclusive cool kid shit, be an early adopter to tech. Don't see shit like yo man. Nobody fucking cared about VR until fucking COVID. <laughs> like nobody cared at all. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, yeah. even yeah. now. COVID gave people a bunch of time that they didn't have before. And when you're trying to buy for people's time and attention, mm. people are at home, they're not working, and all they have is time. So this is like, if you're a content provider, this is your time to shine. Like, people have that 15 minutes to give you now that they didn't have before. But even to that end, there's got to be a different thing. Like, people complain a lot about YouTube, but I never had trouble with YouTube because at the fundamental element of my channel, we can talk about the most gangster shit. We can talk about black history with the full depths of slavery. We can encounter every fucking topic that you can think of. But we always do it from a lens of education. So we've never been clipped. We're like reviewers exploring and learning on the fly and shit. So even if we have hot takes that are wrong, like, yo, our content holds up in YouTube's future, even though we never censored us. Shit, I started smoking pot on YouTube. We're on YouTube right now. We talked about all this shit. And they're not going to get mad at us. My video will stay monetized except for some maybe copyright issues with your music earlier in it. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. Um, but, like, uh, I guess where I'm going with it is you have to provide an educational component, I believe. And that's the future of shit. So you look at who's winning on YouTube, it's news providers that are sincere and genuine. It's video essays and thought pieces that are actually longer than you would imagine. So the new hot length is 40 minutes, Merker. Content is getting longer. Podcasts are taking over a number one. So in the world of music, you're correct. 
but we're talking talk radio now talk radio yeah. i actually googled radio stats because spades was all like bro radio is the shit and i'm like who the fuck listens to radio and then i posted and i got like about 30 like about 15 comments within an hour being like i listen here and there were like a wide range of people with a wide range of circumstances so i'm like okay radio is a thing but you know what i googled the stats talk radio and country music are the driving forces of radio what are we doing here we're talk radio we're, made, we're, we're talking about real shit too that's why i don't want to talk about the music forever and ever because here's the thing that's all the other interviews you'll get on the internet dude that's everyone else everyone else is going to ask you all the music questions they're going to ask you your influences blah 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 blah. and if lindell williams my patron shows up he'll make me ask you what your top fives are or whatever but like otherwise it's like yo i want to hear your thoughts about like regular shit because mm. or how to market better or like how are we gonna grow or how 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 do you fix the scene you know not to say that there's a problem i i'm not on team there's a problem i'm on team yo the youth is crushing the youth is crushing thank you i really can't stand that angle honestly the whole oh, like the complainers and the talking about the haters and whatever for me like that's just such failure talk that it's like right if you're talking that i don't even want to take that in because that's not where my mind is and i don't even want to be exposed to it i'm more scared about catching that than i am about catching the coronavirus honestly because that hater talk shit is gonna fucking hurt me in the long run more than anything else and like and i just I think people just need to focus on themselves and build, man. Like a lot of artists are just looking at each other and like who's sharing whose stuff and whatever. And it's like, bro, I, I don't know, man. It's like, we're all, we're all selling clothes. Let's say we're all selling clothes. Okay. Like, like Gucci doesn't care about Versace sharing their, you know, what, what Gucci think, what Versace cares about their, uh, their, their fall line. You know what I mean? Like, Gucci does their fall line to try to be the best and they push their shit and they have a common respect. Like, I'm not saying it's about, oh, like shunning each other or whatever, but bro, until you actually have a fan base, like how you're talking about the cross sharing thing, until you ha actually have a fan base, the cross sharing shit is just circle jerking. Like it doesn't get so anywhere. I want to talk about that. Um, so one thing I see about your posts is if I were to break down the ratio of people in the scene to out the scene, dog, it's like 95% in the scene. And sometimes I see these rapper peoples and they post and they get like numbers and I, again, I run it through. And I'm like, wait, but these are all like your homeboys direct or in the scene. And then I'm like, yo, did none of you guys have like just nor like, okay, let's, let's go with corporate terms. I don't know how else to put it, but prospects, right? Mm, yeah. Like, I don't think people understand how this works. Like, we're all peers, right? Like at the end of the day, we're peers. We exchange services with each other. We spend money on each other. We give each other time, whatever. You can make a big argument about a lot of things in that world. But at the end of the day, we're just circulating shit around each other. It's kind of like if you look at what happens in low income economies where the money kind of circulates maybe out of the pool a little bit, nothing ever really comes into it. I'm going, yo, how come there's never like actually, so when I say out, I'm talking about Spotify promoter list now, all this shit. This is money out the scene. It just leaves the scene. Who does it go to? I don't know. I'm like, I'm confused by that in the sense of if you follow the dollars, like, yeah, sure. You get your views up and shit and cool. Maybe that's your strategy. Maybe that's your play. Maybe a million things happen. I'm not talking shit about that. I'm just questioning money flow. Right. And I'm going, how come 
it's never like yo yo my peoples at work will go to like the jazz bar and like support the local jazz artist and shit and though the dj scene oh my god dude my brother was a dj in the rave scene for three years these kids will drop twenty dollars and fucking come to shows and they get numbers that are like fucking huge back in the day maybe not now because that shit got shut down a little bit but like in general i'm looking at other scenes the metal scene does very well in terms of local support and shit so it's not like montreal is the issue but maybe there's like other stuff but i feel like i go to the shows and i never really see people that aren't connected to the crowds and yo i went to locksmith okay and there was nobody there and i'm like that's weird, right? Like, this is fucking locksmith. There was, like, 15 of us total. But what happens is, is people see, like, 40 people in the room, and they're not doing the kind of math I'm doing. I'm going, okay, so that person's with that posse there, posse there. And in my head, it breaks into, like, this colored zone of posses. And when you really break it down, most of these shows is pulled in, like, three to eight legit fans and shit. And I'm like, yo, this is a health check situation to me. I'm like, okay, so this is not effectively working. And I would go talk to people, and people would be like, well, Holden, blah, 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 blah. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I mean, oh, yeah. but I also remember 2012 and performing at the CFC, and that shit's on, on wax, and, like, the room's full. And I'm like, okay, I haven't seen a full room since 2014. When, like, you know, but you know what happened? A lot of things happen. So it's not to put blame. Yo, you look at Belmont. You know what made Belmont hot? A $20 rum and coke. Go find that rum and coke at $20. It's gone. Go find a $20 or anything. It's all gone. So a lot of shit changed. So a lot of people stopped wanting to go out because nobody can afford to go to these bars no more. Is that the fault of the artist or whatever? No, but these are like realities we have to adapt to. What do you think drink prices are going to be when shit reopens? Who's going to be able to afford to go to this shit? That's where I'm coming from. Is it like, and this is a no disrespect, aren't we facing like crazy unemployment? Mm -hmm. Like, sure. I'm going 2024, 2025 is when the local live scene gets back to where it needs to be. Yeah, slowly. I'm saying the internet is what it is. You know how many people I pitched about VR and the internet? A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Shout out Blocka from Makeway and them because he actually fucking listened to me back in the day. Nobody else would give me fucking pointers. So even like this Twitch shit, it's like, do you know how many people I'm trying to be like, bro, go online, make your album on Twitch. What the fuck do you care about copyrighted album sales? What, you're going to make 50 bucks after a whole grind? Like, fuck out of here. Go up there and get some donation money making your album so that your whole al you by the time your album is created, maybe you made $1,000. Now you go mm. put your album up and they'll go fucking buy it again because they were part of the making it. You know who proved that model? Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park. Okay? That's a guy to pay attention to, you know? Like, that guy knows a lot of things about how to fucking stay alive in this industry because he's still fucking hot to this day. Crushing Twitch. Look at fucking T-Pain. Averages five-figure fucking following on Twitch. I'm like, yo, there's already proven successful models. Sure. But I me, mean, I was thinking about that over 10 years ago. I, I, you know, lives, Facebook lives, I mean, it's just so easy now. But 12 years ago, 10 years ago, whenever it was, I invited Boy Blue to come and make a song at the studio on live. It was Justin TV then. I don't know if you know about Justin TV, but if you wanted to stream live. I do know what that is. Isn't that what turned into Twitch? Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know if it is. I might be wrong. I don't want to okay. be like that. It was Justin TV at the time. There was no Facebook Live. There was no Instagram Live. I don't even think there was Instagram. <laughs> so there was no Facebook Live. 
it was Justin TV and Boy Blue came through and I made the beat on the spot live. Boy Blue was writing his verses. He recorded it, the whole thing. We did the whole process live. It is live. Twitch. Justin TV is Twitch. It's Twitch, that's dope. <laughs> that's fucking dope. Oh my fucking gosh, dog. That's crazy. I didn't even know. But you see, like, that's what it was then. And it was the only, if you wanted to stream live onto the internet, this was basically the only way to do it. Maybe one of two or, you know, a handful of ways to do it. But we did this over 10 years ago. And that was exactly what you were saying was my whole concept. I said, bro, if people feel involved in the process, it's like if you can do a snare and go, yo, do you think it should be a snare or a clap? And then people are like, make it a clap, make it a clap. And then it's a clap, bro. When that yo. song drops, they feel like it's their song. And Big it's like facts. So I'm watching my homeboy Lemef do this. He, he's practicing making beats. He's got this invested audience. And yo, he has this thing. If you donate, I'll freestyle. It uh, happens. I'm just yes. telling y'all moves here because I want people to be incentivized. I'll tell you something. I did an album release uh, in 2017 for my first project. And I did it at Flip the Industry Studios. And we did a live Facebook stream in 2017 for the whole concert. Because I knew I would never sell at a bar. This cost mm -hmm. me $250 all in. And uh, we ran the whole thing. I got video out of it. And the CEO of my company saw it. Because oh. I was streaming to Facebook Live. And my oh. name was right there in the video. And so all my colleagues saw, Holden, you did this? Holden, you pulled that off? Wow, Holden, you're... Because this was like before, like, you could just go live on your phone, actually. It was like a little bit before that. So what I don't think people realize is that when you're, like, doing things like, like this, more people watch than when you're, like, trying to do some other shit, you know? And there's a lot of right. games on the internet. Look, everybody read page one of Google. Okay, so if you're reading it on page one of Google, look, that was like a long time ago for a lot of people. When you're watching the 15 minute video, that was a long time ago for a lot of people. Trust, there's meta game strategies that are offline. You can't get that shit unless you're actually knowing people. It's not about money. You have to just know where to find the shit. You don't know that when you're on first page Google idea level and shit and whatnot. I don't know. Even when artists go to the radio, because you're talking about how radio is still popping for sure. But when it comes to like local radio, the actual numbers, I think, are minimal. If like non-existent yeah, yeah. anything, there's uh -huh. been times like I, like I go to K103 back then where it's very limited, very limited market. But if I go to K103 and spit bars, I, like within the, for the next week, people are hitting me up saying, yo, I heard your bars or people catch me on the street and say, yo, you went in, whatever the case is. So it's I go to CK. Is Don Smooth and them are now all on Twitch. And what I predict is going to happen is Twitch is going to re-become that. Only now people can chat with each other. Like, t they don't know it, but there's a bunch of gambling games and shit they could be playing right now that won't show up on the video because they disabled the fucking bot. And technically, they could do a bunch of shit to be entertained if they're bored. They usually do it in the pre-interview and for some reason organically just kind of stopped as the interview started. I'm like, wow, everybody just knew to do that. That's so fucking cool. But like, yeah, yo... Yeah. There's ways to do it. I watch these DJ guys and they're fucking just vibing for three, four hours. And I'm like, nah, this is the future. And then I'm still having trouble convincing people that this is dope. So anybody that's doing it now, I'm like, yo, this is the moves. And everybody's got plans. I, You said something that made me go, yo, Cali's a fucking genius. I think I know what the fuck he's doing. And so I'm like, I get what you're saying. And I'm not going to like, you know, suggest for whatever, whatever. Everybody's got ideas and moves to make. But like for most MCs, it's like, yo. You can probably talk, right? Like you're a fucking rapper. 
So just go online and talk. Just talk. Dude, I made Facebook chores part of I tested it up. I created Facebook events while I'm live and I had like seven people there listening to music while I created Facebook events. People will, if you explain this to them, be like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. My girlfriend was so against Twitch. I'm like, I bet if we Google studying right now, studying, we'll find a person studying. And there was one, only one. But And he was just flipping the pages on the book. And we watched it for like a minute. And I'm like, I told you, yo, this shit is about to be interesting. And then there's caffeine. So there's clones of Twitch that are doing well. Yo, when something's got a clone that's doing well, like, don't ignore it. Fuck YouTube. You know why? Because we're all fucked ourselves with DistroKid or whatever we use. We fucked ourselves. on. We're all fucking stamped. So all their automated systems make a lot of things very complicated on YouTube. After this is done, my video is going to be demonetized and blocked in certain regions if they detect your music. But probably will because of the Jack Jones, uh, Jack, Jack, whatever that fucking name. Him. His music is going to get detected and I'm going to get shut down. And lately they've been blocking. Not just, they've been blocking, which is new. They used to just kind of take your money. Now they're shutting shit down. So that'll be after. They're cool with this live because I barely touched music. It took a lot of music. Facebook is shutting down lives very quick. And this is all related to EU copyright laws. But Twitch is about live. It really isn't about the video on demand. So they just mute your shit after. They don't give a fuck. And you still get to keep your ads. So it's really about the live experience, right? So, yo, if you're following copyright law, which if you're a fucking artist and you're not following Europeans' copyright law and you're yelling at Facebook for shit the EU's extorting them into doing, it's like, come on, guys. Are you really taking this shit seriously? Do you even know about copyright law? Yo, it took me about two hours of YouTube videos to start to scratch the surface of going, oh, fuck, I really don't get it, but I get it enough. Like, I didn't know that. Here's an example. Like the songwriting side, I didn't know that my beat maker always gets 50%. That's just the law. So yeah. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Always gets 50% of the, not the masters, not the what other side, but the songwriting credit. Exactly, yeah. The, the, um, you can't the, sell that shit. That's unsellable. Whoever wrote it will always get that. The publishing, the, the producer gets half of it. The writer gets the other half. That's just automatic. And unless obviously you, you make a contract that says right. otherwise or you do whatever, but yeah, that's automatic for sure. It's half off. And like, I don't think everybody knows that, but then there's also one that's songwriting and one that's publishing and they're two separate ones. And then there's a full other one for broadcasting and a whole group of things put together. And then there's a whole bunch of, yo, the way radio does it is wonky. There's a pool that all the money gets thrown into and then it gets distributed down based on how many plays shit actually fucking get. So like, do you got like, it's like how, like, how can you make a calculated decision about where the future is going if you're not looking at the past and the present? And then, you know, because people sometimes go like, how the fuck do you know things? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm fucking curious, dude. I just fucking talk to everybody and I like being wrong. I don't like it, but I like being wrong because then I learn some shit. Like, yo, Blaka basically told me I was a fucking idiot for my thoughts on Sony and he put me in my place. And I was like, fair enough. And on camera, I had to change my mind because his argument was too good. And now I'm not going <laughs> to shit on Sony anymore. I get it. They're okay not being first. And I'm like, oh shit that's that's because you know sony's gonna i was like how are they gonna compete and they're like you'll watch this is what's gonna happen facebook drops their vrs everybody drops their vrs they go and watch everybody else do it and then they drop their vr 
Mm. And then Sony's the kind of company that has the kind of clout that they can ride out whatever. Because yo, Sony makes real money, not from video games. They they make real money. They make like R and D for like fucking big shit money. Like in video games, is kind of just like a huge chunk of cash for them. But they like if the entirety of the PlayStation died, Sony would be like, okay, you know, it's fine. Actually, you're you're making me think of um, McDonald's. McDonald's invests millions and millions and millions of dollars every year in market analysis and choosing the perfect location to put each restaurant. Burger King, Wendy's, Harvey's spend zero dollars on it. What do they do? They wait for McDonald's to put up a restaurant and they put one up across the street. They don't have to spend any money on it. So when you're talking about Tony, that that made me <laughs> made me think of that. Yo, I'm that glad you shared that. I didn't know that. I knew about McDonald's because yo, you know how McDonald's makes money? Because McDonald's is like, yeah, it's, it's real, real estate. Because ninety percent of their shit's franchised, right? So they make money yeah. buying hot pieces of land. Like yo, check that McDonald's on Saint Jacques, uh, near the Canadian Tire by the Twenty there. It's fucking a hot location. They've had that land, fucking for how long? Yo, sure. imagine they put down 10k once upon a time. Mm-hmm. That shit's probably like a multi-million dollar location. But you know how many millions of dollars they lost when the highway got closed off because of the the, the, the you know redoing the Turcot interchange? Their traffic just died because you couldn't go there anymore. Basically, like it, it was a stream. Like Saint Jacques, obviously, is popping and it leads you to the highway, so everybody's going and they'll stop there. And once they close that entry off and to redo it. So I gotta actually wonder, because yo, the hospital opened, which made the land double. Yeah, yeah. In the long run, now they're gonna make more, and obviously now it's open back up, so it's good. But for those, and right when it closed down, the hospital wasn't open yet, and then the highway closed. All of a sudden, they went from like making million dollars a week to making like nothing, bro. And I know somebody that worked there, and the owners were just shitting their pants, bro, because it just went from the hottest location to just shit. And it was just because of like whatever it's a technicality and in the long run it's always going to pay but i mean like yeah, from for... the mcdonald's perspective right because the franchisee is oh, yeah. the person McDonald's who's yeah, McDonald's so got McDonald's, paid, right? and McDo- <laughs> they have to pay mcdonald's rent too right so exactly. mcdonald's like so mcdonald's is like you got to open it here and we're going to charge you this much for rent I mean, mcdonald's is a pimp oh yeah yeah for sure People don't even, yo i love software because software studied the pimping game and went out of its way to pay. yo people get mad at gaming because they don't pay attention to software news but if they ever looked at what your grandma was buying and how they got bought i'm like bro like my company is clean there is dirt out there okay and when you know what the dirt looks like yo, there are people who will call up so you so you're you're, you're like grandpa whoever's grandpa will come across some website virus alert call this now they called a number talked to the indian man next thing you know 350 dollars for a technician service boom 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 but these guys are old they don't even know what the fuck's up but a lot of old people kind of have money to burn right so all of this is going on but they're embarrassed so you never hear about it they'll never fucking tell you because they're, they're embarrassed so yo imagine when they sign up for the Yo, Columbia House modeled fucking softwares and shit, and they get hit with fifty dollars here, there, there. You know what? One time I paid for EverQuest for eighteen months, and I didn't even know I was paying it. 
And then I like, <laughs> I was like 18. It was a big lesson in my life. 19, I guess. But I was 18 months, I paid for EverQuest. I didn't even know. Imagine these old people. Now, I'm not talking about anything specific to an industry. This is public information. It's well-documented shit. But those videos don't get millions of views. So most people don't care about it is what I learned. I'm like, okay, it is what it is. But one day, people are going to get real mad at software. And people are going to like be like, yo, this shit's fucked up. And all the gamers yep. are going to be like, yo, they're fucking my grandmother over with those microtransactions. <laughs> yo, Pro Tools, man. Yeah, I love Pro Tools. I, I bought them how many years ago? And, uh, you know, I bought them bundled with my with my sound box, with, with my M-Box. So I got it you know, included with my M-Box. I paid for maybe two upgrades along the way, a 79 bucks here or a 59 bucks here. And I literally, I've literally been using Pro Tools for like 12, 14 years, 15 years solid, you know, and making money off of using their program. And then now it was time to upgrade and update. And I pay $40 a month and I'm vexed. But you know what? Like, I made so much right. money off of it for so let long me, that I'm like, you know what? I'll give you your 40 bucks. Let me defend so, but the software company a little, little bit shit's complicated now because it's all cloud-based and there's a lot more expenses so i work for a software company um believe it or not we need you all on the same version the newest version because customer mm -hmm. service costs and shit like that are like really high like way more than people really think about so you know what it's like to write a knowledge base for fucking three versions of the same thing because y'all motherfuckers don't want to update to the newest one. The amount of money that gets put into that shit, like people don't know these costs exist because they don't happen to have jobs like the guy who writes the PDF knowledge base. So I did that. I can tell you how many literal man, and I'm a fast fucking writer. I can tell you it would be a full-time employee dedicated per brand's knowledge base to maintain this. And it's like, yo, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Thousands of dollars a year, 50K a salary type shit, right? Just to get that. And so, yo, at the end of the day, they need you on the newest version. But they're also probably pushing out a lot of things a lot quicker, a lot faster, giving you a bunch of stuff on the fly. Because uh, maybe not Pro Tools. Okay, but Pro Tools is Pro Tools. I don't know about Pro Tools. Pro Tools is not solid like how it was. That's what I'm saying. I'm paying 40 bucks a month now, and I like, bro, just. Yesterday, I'm recording, and then the shit just, everything disappeared. Not, not, not the, the vocals or anything, but the program just closed down. I didn't get a message that it crashed, nothing. Shit just, Pro Tools not open anymore. I got to relaunch it. I'm like, bro, by 10 years, it's never happened once. I'm like, now I'm giving, <laughs> I'm giving them 500 bucks a year, and it's like, it's crashing all the time. Even when I read, like, the, the frequently asked questions, and I'm seeing it, and I'm like, but like I understand fixes, obviously. You know what I mean? Well, you, you'll you'll know more than me in this world, obviously, if you're in that world. But like I understand, you know, there's like certain crashes, and they'll tell you, oh, you know, if this happens, just do this and do that, and it's fixed. But the things that I'm reading online that like that they know might potentially happen, nah, and that they have so, the fix you know, for. There was like a whole. So when I installed Pro Tools recently to try to, I, I tried to get the free one or whatever, and it went through this whole like fucking third party fucking launcher bullshit. And I'm like, what is this crap, right? I just wanted to try out Pro Tools and see if it would solve my problem. I feel like they got bought or like something happened and they moved into the subscription model service. But here's the thing. Sometimes big brands ride on their laurels. Now, Pro Tools is an industry standard, right? And you know, check, here's how Adobe pimps it. Adobe goes up to the uh, to the to the businesses and they make their little dealy poos, right? And so everybody's using Adobe After Effects in house and Adobe Premiere and shit. 
Now, if you're a freelance guy and you want to get corporate clients, you have no choice but to have Adobe because the clients, and, and I know this, you want to have access to those Adobe files after because you're only getting half the work done from that guy. You're going to finish the rest of it in-house because you don't need him to flip the fucking subtitles. It is what it is, right? Like, that's the truth of the matter. We're trying to save a couple grand. Um, so, like, end of the day, everybody's kind of locked into it. And the same thing happened with Pro Tools. I saw it on your post, industry standard. I'm like, bro doesn't need Pro Tools. He needs Reaper at 60 bucks. He can export at zero. What the fuck does he need Pro Tools for? Like, is he fucking doing all this shit? And even then, Pro Tools is every fucking plugin you could possibly use. I learned how to DS on, on Reaper. Sorry, Reaper has DSers. I just put in the digital fish bullshit, all the VST things. And these are all things that work in, and it's all for it's $60, bro. It's 60 fucking dollars. Why do you need Pro Tools for You might need Pro Tools because your shit's very different and you learning whatever. But for most of us, fucking get yeah. Reaper. For sure, for sure. I When it comes to, I tell them like what I use and, and the reason why I use it. But for sure, it's not, I don't tell people, oh, you need Pro Tools. I never tell people you need Pro Tools. I tell them, try out the different ones and see which one you like more. Because they all do the same thing. Before, you needed to have Pro Tools to have a proper sound or anything. But now they all do the same mm. thing. So yeah back to that point i think pro tools is people believe that pro tools can ride on its laurels so because it's an industry standard business clients pay that price and you're mm. forced to use it because it's an industry standard but yeah, yeah. businesses don't research like you and i research mm. businesses trust industry standards like you know how many companies pay for adobe but honestly my pdf editor at work in all of its whatevers is actually a better suited app for like most people's needs at an affordable price mm -hmm. it's actually true we have a pretty good converter engine we went out of our way to outdo adobe for this round and we did we actually can convert your powerpoints and shit nice oh, wow and it's not really about that but people will still pay for adobe they have 75 percent of the market share because they have celebrities yes they use celebrities in their pdf campaigns okay they literally fucking got John Woo a tat. I know this because market research at work. John Woo's a tattoo artist who fucking uses Adobe Sign and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, what the fuck? They got Billie Eilish for their fucking Creative Cloud. I'm like, how do you compete with this? That's why Adobe gets it because they're they're yo Zendesk is like another company. They own the world. Everybody's fucking help support site is Zendesk. You'll see it when you look for HC in the URL. If you start looking up and you look for HCs on support sites, you'll start to notice what a Zendesk looks like. Zendesk had a conference with celebrities at it, dude. This shit is nuts. You know, everybody doesn't even get where the money is as a performer. If you want to make money, get companies to pay you for your shit. You'll make $1,000 on the show. A promoter will give you 50 bucks for it. Mm. You just got to be a little cleaner. <laughs> just a little cleaner with your brand, dude. Trust. Real money. For sure, for sure. All right, it is uh 1245 and I want to keep talking but it's fucking late and I actually have one booked at 2 p.m. and I'm like okay no, I gotta like actually wrap this up um but yo thank you for being here to me this was a riveting conversation it was everything I hoped it would be I think it was fun I think we talked about all of the shits we could ever fucking have talked about and we just got started I'd be down to just shoot the shit with you any other fucking time it would be mad fucking fun is all I'm trying to say for those of you watching this in the future on other platforms I just wanted to say 
thank you for watching everyone i totally appreciate y'all as well definitely leave us a comment so that when he fucking comes back we'll be able to like ask his questions all that good shit yo links in description follow the man do all the thingies special thanks to the patrons is milk at mc chris powder jonathan barnes dj black hurricane linda williamson scribble their dope they support what we do and yo basically definitely if you want to support us you can hit that little subscribe z poo button we're trying to get more emotes or you can also hit up that patreon.com slash behind that suit on that note i really want to thank you again for being here and live long and prosper everyone